Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's another Monday in deer season, and if you live in the same place that we do, uh, it should be very cold when you're listening to this because we got a big cold front rolling in. Uh, we got another heavy hitter for you today. So we got uh, Mr. Michael Perry on, a guy who's just killed two bucks in like a week. Michael, how are you doing? Good. How are y'all doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Jacob? Oh, dude, been, been well. Uh, been the ginger s- rifle hunter? Yeah, been swell. Had a chance this afternoon, but we'll talk about that this uh this uh on the outro but yeah michael once again dude i'm excited to have you on uh you know i, I know we talk about that a lot on the podcast so i'm always excited to talk to the the guys we do have on but it's because you know we strate- we're strategically i can't talk tonight uh <laughs> trying to find gentlemen like yourself uh that have been doing this for a long time where you know you've been hunting publicly and it seems like quite a while and you've had a lot of success and uh not only that but this last week you've had I mean, just a, a, a ridiculous week when it comes to killing some big bucks on Alabama public land. Um, 
So we're going to kind of go over all that today. You know, we're going to kind of dive straight into it and kind of dive into like your hunting background. Uh, so that being said, Michael, kind of give us a rundown, you know, tell us a little bit about who you are, but also kind of like your background and how long you've been hunting public land. Well, I'm, that's good to be on y'all show and I appreciate y'all calling y'all's interest and trying to get some more information. Um, like I say, Michael Perry is my name. I'm living in Vimon, Alabama. I've been hunting since I was a little kid and I'm 54 right now. And public land hunting is the main thing that we like doing. It's more challenging and, uh, I, um, love bow hunting probably better or say more. When it comes to gun season, motor law season, I like trying all of them. But bow hunting is it's more of a passion. And I've been dreaming of taking a big deer with a bow on public land for a long time. And it kind of played out the other day, as y'all seen. And, and then, there's luckily, in back-to-back hunts, basically I took two nice deer this week on public land. But, um, yeah, I've been doing it a long time. And then and some, some weeks is better than others, and some years is better than others. It's, but uh, Alabama's got some great opportunities with public land, and we enjoy doing it. Awesome. Well, how long have you been hunting public land, especially in Alabama? Since, like I say, squirrel hunting and everything since I was nine, ten years old. Since I was big enough to follow my dad around hunting, trapping, and uh, deer hunting, squirrel hunting, just a variety of things. My dad was a, a really good woodsman and was pretty well known traveling around hunting different managed areas. They loved doing the primitive weapon hunts because back then that was your only chance of having meat hunts. Basically, they, you could shoot either sex then. There wasn't a whole lot of either sex with guns, so we traveled around different managed areas doing that. So, that's, like I say, since I was a little bitty. So, I had like a little high just while I was in the Navy for five years. Didn't hunt a lot, but but after that, I got pretty serious because I just I just... My brother got me interested more in the bow hunting part, and then uh, once I did that, it, it really took off, and I just enjoy being outdoors any way I can, hunting, fishing, but especially white-tailed deer hunting in Alabama on public land. Yeah, man. Uh, I've known about you for, uh, I don't know, maybe two years or, or something like that. Uh, I've seen you in AON Magazine, and then we've actually had several people uh, recommend you to have you on the show. Um Cause you've had you've had a, a string of really good years uh, in the in the deer woods over the last couple of years. Uh, so can you give people a little rundown of maybe what your last two or three years has been like um, hunting Alabama public? The last two or three years, uh, last two years, I can tell you for sure I've killed. So I haven't limited out, but I've killed. Last year, I killed a decent nine-point with the bow at Black Warrior, November 2nd, I think. And then December 2nd, I killed a very nice 10-point with a gun. My, before that, my wife killed a very nice eight-point with a muzzle loader. And this year, I had back-to-back hunts, like I just said a little while ago. With, I got in a tree at, say, 5.30, and by 7 o'clock, I shot the biggest deer I ever shot in my life with a bow. Chasing the doe, and then the next time I went hunting was on an A side gun hunting Black Warrior. Got up a tree at nine ten. Had a doe come by at eleven o'clock trotting. Then ten to twelve, I heard some trotting and some loud grunting. 
they're coming ice ten pointing. Took him with my guns. So that's as far as the two back to back hunts, that's the best two days I've had I guess ever. But the one with the bow was I haven't had him scored yet, but I'm hoping that he'll make it now I'm on record book and that's my dream is just accomplishing that feat is getting one big enough to make a record book with a bow. Yeah, I'm looking at him he's right now, older. man. He's huge. He's, yeah, he's, that spread, that spread, you can ask some guys at the checking station. I don't know take measure on that spread. I've got fast that, but I wouldn't, I've never dreamed of taking one with over 21 inches. It's almost 22 inch inside spread. So <laughs> oh. it was, he, he's an amazing, amazing deer. So. <laughs> no doubt. And I don't. I run. I, I run some cameras out there, and as far as I know, I've never had a picture of one with a spread that wide. And I might have him on camera. I have not pulled that car because him and the both come back with cameras. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I just haven't pulled that card yet. So. Yeah, Michael. I was going to say Andrew's over here actually, like looking at his phone, all like just drooling, pretty much looking at that deer. <laughs> I mean, both deer you shot are giants. I mean, absolute just. just ridiculous deer and then also the the deer your buddy shot the same day you shot your second one is a freaking right. giant as well um oh yeah that, that's uh anthony kelso and he's been like he's been hunting for a long time and he's got frustrated uh a little bit but he, he's having a hard time putting it all together but he put it all together the same day and it's, it's a very nice book yeah a 10 point with, with four stickers to make it a 14 point and he is a very nice point. And that that, that deer that I killed, was, that's the biggest body weight one that I've killed in Alabama, 200 pounds. And mm. I've had a few close, but, but he was he was a hoss. And, so, and both of them deer, like I say, they're, they're nice. Anthony's is, is, a, is a very nice book. Real dark, chocolate horns, amazingly dark. Gotcha. Well, let's, let's kind of dive into, you know, what has helped you be successful, especially over the last, like you said, before we started recording, how you got really serious about 15 years or so ago. Uh, you know, what did you do when you first got started? It really, when, I mean, get started, when you start taking it more seriously and you were trying to go after either bigger deer or just really trying to get on more deer, what was the first thing you started doing back then, and has it changed until now? Well, my first tactics is kind of what a lot of people – start out doing and, and some still do is, is hunting scrapes and rubs and stuff like that and just a real visual sign and I finally learned to try to I like that sign being there but I try to stay away from actually hunting it because I've learned over the years especially on public land a lot of that's nighttime and uh nighttime activity and and I've burnt many hours looking at scrapes and rubs and rub lines and then not see a deer or see small deer. So I finally tried to piece together of looking at a spot, finding pretty much the does hang out. They they stay pretty much there all year, see how they use the area, then put together thinking that bucks try to travel higher and run more edges and thicker stuff and and started hunting pinch points with edges higher parts of the hills and um above creek crossings and stuff like that versus hunting feeding sign uh, you know i like seeing feeding sign stuff like that but i'm trying to figure out how to catch them going to the feeding sign or going to the bed one of the two that way you're not if you're going into the feeding sign a lot or going into the bedroom it, you're it's you're you're your chances go down significantly after the first hunt. 
because they'll figure they figure you out quick that that you've been there. So. Mm-hmm. What now? Here's a here's a question for you. Um, when you're kind of cutting your teeth on this, what do you think was the biggest mistake that you were making uh, that was holding you back? Biggest mistake, man. It's mostly hunting scrapes or hunting right there where you whether it's a fresh deer sign eating acorns or or uh, like a creek crossing. When I first started hunting creek crossing, I was staying right on the close to the creeks, and I finally learned that most of the time they don't exactly cross the same place all the time. And the way the wind is or drafts, it, it drafts up and down the creek, and you'll get picked off. And I've learned to stay higher, find the creek crossings. Look at the area and see where they where's the closest bedding area or the thickest stuff, and and see how they're going to access from the creek crossing to that area and stay above higher where your scent is not going to drift as much down. It's going when the morning sun comes, your draft comes up, and your scent is basically above what you're watching, and that's that's that has helped me tremendously. Is it's not to get too close to the actual creek crossing. And just staying higher up and finding the pinch points like bluff gaps or wood lines that change, say hardwoods coming to pines or thick, thick woods coming to open woods or something like that where they travel edges and staying out of pretty woods. Gotcha. And that was a question I was going to have is, you know, you're talking about, you know, seeing a lot of these bucks and finding these bucks up in a little higher elevation areas where they're kind of, you know, cruising a little bit higher. And you're talking about not necessarily hunting you know, the feed sign or the bedding areas, but you're hunting in the middle of them. Can you give us an example of like, what are you looking for as in a perfect pinch point between a bedding area and maybe a food source? And like, how do you go about hunting those areas? Well, I, I look for places, especially um, the hardwood ridges, mountains that we have say here, but you look for the ones that's got blowdowns, and uh, mountain laurels on the lower edges, old logging roads that have a lot of mountain laurel groves on Look for bluff gaps and more, possibly one or two more or three ridges come down to a point that goes down toward a creek and then say across from it and a couple more ridges or a long point that comes to, that's closer to the creek. When they're traveling, they come up either one of them, say a couple points or three points or two points, they can easily access back up to another bedding area or transitional area higher instead of getting caught in the open woods. Um, but edges, say tem- different timber changes, pines, the hardwoods, along above the creeks and points and the crossing areas is what I look for versus uh, the open woods, straight flats. This is harder to hunt straight flats to me. Mm-hmm. And maybe a, maybe a cut over on top, but it's, you know, most of the places in Black Warrior and some of the other ones, you don't have that many cutovers to actually look at like that. So the blowdowns and where pine beetles get and stuff like that is perfect. But there's bucks and them laurel bushes on them, on them points and on them old logging roads that run around, say, a third of the way down them hill or bluff mm-hmm. well that was a, another question i was going to ask and i think you just touched on it a little bit but what is in, in the part of alabama and the state that you hunt in what is like a bedding area for you like where do you normally see deer bedding 
And how do you go about finding that? I mean, are they betting in pretty much every little mountain laurel thicket, or is there certain things that you find that they are consistently betting in? And we're both talking bucks and does. Though you know, those sometimes will just bed pretty close where they're feeding at, and that, and you know, as long as they're not pressure that much. But a, a good key place to look at in the wintertime, you know, it's cooler. They're like they're like people or other animals. They don't like staying cold, so you can look for blow down areas or, or points and, and ridges that are thick where the sun, when the sun first comes up, it shines on them. They, they'll ease their way up and find a little blow down stuff to lay down or lower bush lay down where the sun shines on them, keep them warm but thick. And most of the time, especially when they're pressured a little bit, they'll be a third of the way down where like when wind comes over the point and they, they can pick the wind up if somebody's sneaking up on them or or walking, and then they can see below them where they can see any, any danger or trouble, or they can go back up, or they can bail off, or they can pressure from the top. Gotcha. Now, Michael, I got a question for you. You know, you talked about hunting pressure a little bit. Do you, especially on some of these gun hunts, do you use hunting pressure to your advantage in these areas that you're hunting? No. I don't. I try not to use or spend on anybody or any kind of pressure because if you only got a limited number of days, I just try to find the natural travel corridors that they're using pretty much their whole lives, whether it's even, whether they're getting pressure or not, they can, they can still travel it. Preferably where, so preferably where two or three things come together, not just say one trail or, or one ridge. Um, I prefer a couple of trails that could come where they can go either way. Let's just say, the last deer I killed was above a creek crossing. A long point runs out toward that creek. Across the creek, there's two or three other ridges that come down. It's kind of thick. They cross from there and access this long point, but it's hard to to get cover the whole thing. They can either go up, they can say go up to the left of me, behind me, or they can go up to the right, and then they can just peel around the front and go off to another thicker point. But there's an edge of thicker like cedars and and a few pines that you're just slipping through. You go up that point, then go up to the lower bushes and the blowdowns, and it's if you're not really if you blink an eye, you know, they level slip by you unless you haven't seen them because it's so shadowy that they can slip through. It's amazing. It's that's not open woods. It's, it's somewhere that you're looking for that's that you could just about walk through, and somebody sitting up there looking, they could. If they're not looking exactly at you, you, you can walk by them. So just the right amount of thick, right? Excuse me? Just, just the right amount of thick, you know? Yes, yes. Yeah. So. Um. The The spot you're describing, is is it kind of like a bowl area? Or like some people would call it like a thermal hub? It, it could be like a thermal hub. Um, above me, say a couple hundred yards, is, is a, a bluff gap to one say to the say the east or the west either way but they could go around either side of that and go up they're just when they come across that creek then they're normal traveling whatever there's three or four different points and get open say an apron flat in the bottom then they can just pop up and go up without i mean they can slip by quick mm-hmm. so when you're to, well when you're when you're down in like a creek bottom, let's say, and you find 
let's say you find a bunch of hot sign, you find fresh scrapes, you know, uh, busted acorns, all kinds of stuff, and you have like a suspected bedding area uh, up on the ridge above it. Uh, how do you know how far to go towards that bedding area? Like when do you when do you know when you need to stop and set up? Well, I don't want I won't be far enough from the bedding area where there's not any noise that I can make, say accidentally whatever that they're going to hear or the wind blowing up that way that they can smell. So it could be three hundred yards to a quarter of a mile. So it's just it just it just depends on how the layout is and how the wind is. Hmm. And you're, you know, you've got to kind of look at your topo map, and which you know topo maps are pretty good, but most of the places in Alabama I look at, you got to lay books on the ground because there's a lot of hidden stuff. Well, let's jump right into scouting, and we're not really scouting, but it's like how you use maps. Uh, you know, you're talking about using you know topo maps to kind of get out there, but also boots on the ground. You know, what is is anything like this when you're hunting, you know, anyone kind of hunting the hill country, uh, anywhere in the southeast or across the country, uh, or when you start getting to some of these uh, lower elevation mountains uh, along the Appalachian Mountains or Ozark Mountains, is there anything you mm-hmm. can look at on a map and be like, okay, this is a place I need to go and hunt, whether, you know, it's bow season or rifle season or, or you know, primitive weapon? Is there something on the map that you can look at and you're like, okay, that is a spot I need to go to and check out? Well, if, if you can, it depends on what part of the country and then how much agriculture around or, or stuff like that. But you can look for, uh, say, a topo map and it shows a saddle or or a hub. It's got two or three little spurs that come down and it's a certain saddle across another point across our creek. It makes a sharp bend that gives you like a pinch point. So when they're traveling, they're actually forced to travel a certain way. And just uh i'm kind of getting tongue-tied a little bit but it's what i look for is if I say off season or if i go into a place blind i like to go down and just hit a creek start walking and find big tracks and see what big tracks crossing look pull up a topo say onyx or whatever map you got kind of get an idea which, which way they could be going up go up to the points or whatever and then look Visually from the bottom up and see where you think they would travel. What's the thickest point of, that they could use it to get up securely? And then uh, try to come in and set up uh, where you could see, say, partly in the bottom, but not all the way. Because you don't, I don't like getting in the bottom, like I said earlier, because of the flat. It's so flat and the wind just drifts mm-hmm. up and down the creeks. So, but stay higher and try to access it without coming through any hidden areas or anything like that. Now, see, that's something that's kind of curious because I actually hunted a place like that this afternoon where I kind of just walked in this creek drainage I've never been to before and just kind of sat up on a, on a point where, you know, three drainages came together. Or really, Yeah, three drainages came together and, uh, and had a deer run right by me and he, she almost got a, a bullet in her. Um but anyways, you know, in areas like this, when you're trying to, you know, focus on, you know, kind of going to place blind, if you were looking at creeks or something like that, is there anything else on the map? Like, let's let's talk about some of these pinch points a little bit more. You know, you've, you've mentioned some of them, you've talked about them, but let's kind of break down some of these pinch points and, and how you would go about hunting them. Because it's one thing to talk about saddles and benches and creek crossings and all this kind of stuff, but how would you go about hunting, you know, some of these, um, you know, these terrain funnels 
And also, do you, mm. you ever use vegetation funnels in any of the places you you hunt? You know, using blowdowns or anything like that that you know funnel the deer. Yeah, well, that's 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 the key thing to look for when you're looking. So if you look at the map, and you find say a saddle or two or two or three ridges come down together and across the creek or whatever it goes up two or three more ridges. And you go look at lay your eyes on this. You know, it's it's hard to do just going blind. You know, topo and then the the planted earth. Uh, direct imagery and stuff like that don't really show the timber that good. So you can get down there and you it's, it lay eyes on it and find where, say, pine transition into hardwoods or hardwoods transition into, uh, say, select cut, some kind of edge, just any kind of change or anything. If a bluff cap is close to that change, that makes it that much better. It's just more of a natural funnel. They don't really they don't really know it, but they because they just love using edges. And then kind of tie that together and then get where you can see the edge and stay. You know, you don't want to get plumb into the thicket because, like I say, if you, it's just like somebody coming into your house and they're hunting right there in your bedroom or, or somebody's in your bedroom, you're going to find out and you're going to know quick. Deer the same way their nose and eyes and ears are way better than ours so they can, they know when they're disturbed. So stay just, I just stay out to the where I can see into the edge of the thickness. And then say, like I say four, stay above the, the crossing. And more than when the sun comes up, you're getting a, a draft up, and you're above watching so, the actual funnel or trail. So for for like a bluff gap, um, I want to go into a little bit more detail about that. Uh, can you kind of explain what a bluff gap is, and whether or not there are certain features of a bluff gap that make it uh, better than other bluff gaps? Well, you say you just take off walking, go to, or you can look on Popo and then look at the train and, and find some bluffs and you just walk them on the top side of bluffs and walk, just keep walking the edges. And a lot of times there'll be a trail not far from the top and then you just follow them trails on around and you'll see where they, where they either go down or if they're on the bottom, they're going up and they use that because they're, they're basically forced to. And it, it's because it's just, you know, they're not going to jump off a hundred foot bluff. They're going, they're going to find a point where they can slide down and then come up. And you'd be surprised. Some of them be like stair step where they got to make four or five foot jumps. I've seen pigs do the same thing. They travel up. But, but the, the ones they use is generally close to some kind of blow down area or say flat cut or thicker areas to, 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 to go bad at. So, or they are less at traveling to say the food plot on the other side of it or. Something like that. They're not. They're not just going to go traveling through the open woods when they're doing that. They're going. They're going to use a gap that's that's got thick, close to it. Yeah, we uh, down in central Alabama. I used to be in a club on the border of Shelby and Bibb County, uh, Shades Mountain, actually. And there's a lot of bluffs on that club. And I remember at the very top of Shades Mountain, there's a there's a bluff up there. And I mean, there's like a crack in this bluff, like a little bitty crack that I could barely fit mm-hmm. down, and the deer would run down that thing like it was nothing. Right. I mean, just a little bitty crack down that bluff. So, yeah, I was curious to to hear what you have seen on that. Um, uh, it's amazing what they can do like that. But I got a couple of places like that. It's just a small hidden, just a crack in, in a crack between boulders. And they, they can go up and down it so fast, it's, you know. They, if you're sitting there 15 yards from it, watch it. 
they, they can blow by you without you even knowing it, really. Or get, you're just here to see a blur. That's why you try to stay. I don't really exactly, I don't like being exactly on the gap itself. I'm either above it or say below it when I know they're going to it. So, Yeah. Now, when you let's say you found your spot, you found the hot sign, you you backtracked it up to a pinch point between the food and the bedding, and and you know where where you want to go hunt. Uh, what are some things that that um, make you want to go hunt that spot? Like like what kind of conditions do you typically wait for on like a good spot? Like are you waiting for for like the right weather, or are you just waiting for the right wind, or, or what does that look like for you? Um. So most of the places I hunt, especially you know, unless I'm bow hunting, I only have certain days. The gun hunts are just limited; they're only they don't have them every day where I hunt. So you don't have select days. So the the perfect days is very rare. So if I can say if I'm off tomorrow, then I'm just gonna go to I got I got a list of places that I start out at and just try for a couple of days, and then, so I'm always in the same area because I've I've learned to take an area, say, a one-mile square area or a mile-and-a-half square area, and say, say, during turkey season or, you know, late wind or whatever, to walk as much of it as I can, find, because the leaves are, you know, been off forever, and you can, the trails are more distinct, tracks are more distinct, you can see all the scrapes that's left over in the rubs, and then and, and start piecing things together. So and that helps me make my decision in the fall, I lay out a plan. I don't know this gap's like this, this gap like that, and, and I'm going to start out just by gut feeling where I'm going to start out first, and then hang in there for a few days and see what happens. I don't, I don't like running, jumping around a lot, or going to different areas because I haven't seen one that day. I'll, I'll stay with it, and just have a, just trust myself. So, yeah. So, so yeah, you narrow it down to a, like a, like a smaller area, like you said. So when you're trying to narrow down an area, like let's say that, that one mile area, uh, what are some things that you look for in that one mile area to, to be like, Hey, this might be the spot that I need to really focus on this upcoming fall. Well, I, I you know, you basically know where all your food is. You basically know, say where you suspected bedding is. The bedding changes somewhat, but you don't always, especially a buck, you don't always bed the same place and you don't always access it the same way. So it's, you kind of try to think like a criminal. So he's going to go from his house to Walmart or to look for the girls. He's not going to use the main highway. He's going to use side roads, just with, you know, with dark roads, nothing well lit or, or something like that. The deer's going to just use, a buck's going to use a, a slick edge it's dark, shadowy, you know, timber that he can jump. He can jump from one, say, from one edge to the other within just a, any sign of trouble and, and not get caught. And, and that's that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, that's a good analogy for it. That's that's a really good analogy, I'd say. Um, you have something? Uh, not necessarily about that. Um, Michael, when it comes to – you know, hunting in season and changing conditions, whether, again, it is hunting pressure uh, or, you know, just different weather conditions or whatever happens, uh, you know, how many areas, when you're going into, like, especially like a gun hunt, like, because like you said, you know, anybody that hunts Alabama or some of these states that have very limited, you know, firearm or, or primitive weapons hunts, whether they're highly managed, you know, it's two, three, four days 
uh, most of them they're two or three days long. So there's a right. lot of people that normally hunt those uh, in a very short period of time, and a lot of stuff can change, especially from the week before when you're bow hunting, the deer were doing a certain thing, and then you know the morning after that first gun hunt, it can totally change. How do you adapt with that? I mean, do you already have areas that you think of that, like, you know, if if I'm not seeing deer here, I can move back a little bit farther and get back on them? And how do you adjust for anything like that on a gun hunt? On on gun hunts, what's trying to do the same way on bow hunting. You got deer, especially on public land, pressure is pressure. Squirrel hunting pressure, hog hunting pressure, horse riders, whatever. So, yeah, I always think, well, they got pressure all the time, so I'm not, I'm stay away from the pretty woods. I go, I, I, I found four or five different gaps or edge crossings, you know, or where they've done some thinning on tops, and I know that they would grow for a couple of years. I know deer's going to use that bed. So I, I, just, lay, I just keep that in my mind. I make a plan right, say, two days before that hunt or a week before or whatever, and then I just stick with it. I, I don't let weather bother me or wind direction bother me because most of the time in the mornings I'm always up higher where the thermals is coming up the wind I don't really worry about because I'm above watching the area that I'm expecting deer or bucks to travel and if the wind is blowing right across there most times above them they don't if they do catch you you should already had a shot or it's something you wasn't going to shoot so you don't like to say, and during this public land, you've only got limited days. Now, in the evenings, when I'm hunting, I'm always I'm always hunting in the bottoms tighter to a steeper edge or mountain where I'm expecting them to come off right at five to ten minutes before dark. Most of the time, most of the bucks I've shot in the evening is, is five to ten minutes before dark slipping off a steep edge or steep gap coming from blow lands or where they have fins and stuff on top so i've been i've been listening i today i actually re-listened to our episode with glenn solomon uh as i've as i've just been hunting i started listening to it again trying to get some more tips out of it and it's what's interesting is glenn said the almost the exact same thing that you just said about uh wind and everything wind direction weather conditions and all that stuff. And he also said, stay out of the pretty woods. He said that exact phrase. <laughs> um, so great minds think alike, I guess. Um, now, um, so so you, you're not worried about wind direction too much. So are you climbing nope. really high, or are you just setting up in such a way, like you said, uh, you know, if something comes through, if it if it busts you, then it already got through your shooting lane or something like that? Right, I've already had a chance to shoot. Bow hunting, I'll just... Uh, and gun hunting the same way. I just climb up to where you're in cover. You know? gun, in, in most of the places, if I climb too high, you're it's so you got to climb high enough to see in the stuff. If the higher you climb, then you're getting blocked by a lot of the say thick limbs and stuff like that. So you just got I can just got when you climb up, you just got to know how you what you're looking at, where or where you're looking at, and then don't get no higher than that. Because you get too high and you're missing stuff on bow hunting, you know, you can't get real high anyway. Your shot angle's too steep. Mm-hmm. I get to the lambs, I get to the cover, and this we can go back to the big deer I killed the other day. But I, I was expecting pretty much the deer to come from like three points, come down Georgia Creek, and the, the bluff gap, say, behind my back. He, he can come behind me, but if he does come behind me, I can get a shot, but there's about 
a group of, say, 20 thick trees that keeps the deer or any animals from seeing me. I got time to get up and draw before they get to the open, and then they're, they're shot or shot at anyway. Michael, I've got a question when it comes to areas where you have these quote-unquote pretty woods. You know, how do you see deer using those areas? I mean, are you seeing them very much so using, whether it's the higher elevation, just wherever the nastier cover is, and then at very last light or very, very early in the morning, they're coming to or from those areas? As in, like, in the mornings, are you seeing them kind of going back up to bed from these, you know, pretty hardwoods where the oaks are at, all the acorns are at, and you're trying to catch them early? And in the evenings, they're coming down late. Is that kind of what you're seeing, or, or what is that like? Because, uh, again, you hunt in an area that me and Andrew definitely do not have much experience at uh, when it comes to that kind of style of hunting and, and that terrain. Uh, pretty woods. If you have the open stuff in there, and most of that's at night. I don't, but I, like I say, I don't, if they're coming from them, that's, that's fine. But I don't really look at it as that. I'm looking at the edges of travel corridors coming from say the pretty wood but it's not I'm not that close to pretty wood I'm more on the edges so and it's uh, it's kind of hard to explain but I don't really pay attention to the pretty wood because the does might use it some but when like I say everywhere the public land there's just so much pressure like I said earlier about the squirrel hunting so like that they rather feed where there's that's been thin or you know, a lot of breakup timber or bow down and stuff like that. And then you get some natural travel from that without having to worry about trying to hunt where they're coming from the pretty woods or, or say the green fields, the green fields. I, I pay attention kind of on the green fields of that, but most of the places I'm hunting, I'm a mile or more from the green field. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised how far the deer travel on public land when they're going to green fields and back. They'll, they'll travel a mile the weather bidding from them so, unless it's late season in late season they'll be closer to the green field and stuff if, if the other food sources are starting to die out so. I guess uh, Mike, Michael I got something for you can you walk us through these last two bucks you killed and how those hunts took place from I mean pretty much the time you left the truck to you going in and dragging the deer back out or, or carting them out you know, what was that like? You know, what were you, why did you go to a specific location? What was the conditions and, you know, what made you sit there? Um, all right, we'll start out with the bow hunt. I got, I got this little pinch point creek crossing that I know after years of experience, it's a pretty good chance that buck travel that just going, say, scouting, looking for does or, or, mark, or going marking their scrapes or whatever. They're just crazy. Oh, I got up, and I always have all my stuff laid out. I've got a backpack full of stuff, and I get to the parking spot where I can go. It takes me an hour to get back. These ends, I use well, I use a scent lock suit. So, um, that's the only thing to try to help scent. I use say uh, hunter's specialty scent spray or something like that. A little bit of cover scent, and I'll go in and get set up. He's in the tree. I don't. I always go in. Some people go in at daylight. I go in an hour, say an hour before daylight, and get set up minimum thirty minutes before. I use a headlamp going. Say I'm the majority of the walk, but when I get within say three hundred yards where I'm hunting, I switch to a little hand light one, just shining on the ground where there's very little light reflecting up in the air. Slip up a tree. I'll 
spray uh, since it's pre rut rut, I'll spray a little bit of tanks uh mist and spray buck and doe, dominant buck and then say tank sixty nine get situated and then uh, every now and then if it's say fifteen minutes out of daylight I might blow a grunt call to say a three short short grunts or maybe a can call before that. And then uh that morning I had a, like a doe come trotting Heard splash, heard something trotting. As soon as the doe got, she come across the creek quite fast. As soon as she got in front of me, I stood up because I knew something was suspicious, whether it was a doe or a buck chasing or a coyote or, or what. So I got up, and as soon as I got up, I heard something else. Look, seen a rack coming. Good rack. Wasn't, wasn't too sure how big, but knew it was good enough to, to shoot. He let out a just a deep grunt. Come trotting up, and I've got this is like a con- control chaos. About 20 seconds, you got stuff running through my mind. All right, he's not going to sl- come the same way she did. So I got an old that's 20 yards, up 25 yards. If he goes that way to where, I have, where I'm going to, what pin, and he's not going. He's going to be trotting. But I got to figure out how to stop him. But they all come together. But as soon as he got into the open, I'd already drawn. As soon as I seen them horns, I draw. He trotted up there and stopped, just dead perfect in front of me, looking, kind of seeing where she's going. And then I shot him at 25 yards. He took off, run about another 40. He stopped, and he turned his head a couple of times. That's when I realized he was a big, and I'm shaking like crazy already. <laughs> and he's standing there, and I'm thinking, please go down. You know, and he, he looked around a little bit, and he laid down and fell over. And then I had to sit down for about 10 minutes to get all my nerves back together. It tore me up. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and there's a pretty good video when I walked up to him. I, I video walking up to him, and it, you could tell I was excited, but he was a horse daddy. So I was proud. And then, uh, say, what, three days later, I left work. Told my, me and my wife talked. I was going to carry her in. I picked her up at, by the time we got situated, I put her in her trees, had to secure her standing, get her set up. I got my stand at say nine oh five because I was, we're gonna do a mid morning hunt. We're gonna hunt to twelve, and so I got situated. I've been sitting there about thirty minutes. Had a bobcat come across. I tried to get shot on that, but I couldn't get shot yet. And I heard somebody shoot up the hill, and I was pretty sure it was my wife. Then say about ten to eleven, I was heard something from the door. She come trotting through, trotted on by. I would say perfect. 35, 40 yards from me, and I said, mm-hmm. I'm sitting there on my gun. All right, I'm just going to keep watching that way because you never know. So I'm watching and watching. 10 minutes go by, and nothing, 30 minutes. Then things can go in your mind. Well, I don't know. But anyway, about an hour later, I heard something trotting. Then I heard some big, some more trotting big. Looked around, seen this deer coming with his head to the ground. Big. Picked his head up. I seen good horns. He got a little open. I grunted at him, stopped him. He looked. I shot. He turned around. He took off running. I shot again. He went a little bit farther than fell. So and then I gave him about 15 minutes, went down there, and that was a good 10 point with the gun. And it's uh, both of them hunts. I had to call somebody to come help me, ask for help. So they're both on this 45 minutes hour walk. After go, I, each time, if go get the cart. Hour to the cart, bring the cart back, get the deer to the cart, and roll for a couple of hours. So 
So we shot the one at seven o'clock, and it was one o four or something like that when we got into the truck. Oh man! That afternoon, and then the gun one, the same guy come help me, and uh, shot him at twelve, and it was five twenty or something like that. Got him in the truck, so it was a little bit faster, but. But both both were very very rewarding, tiring days. So. Yeah, absolutely. and that's working twelve hours. I was working twelve hour shifts, and then that's all in this time tied together with that. And it's, so yeah, that's, that's another that's about. another thing. Is as 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 that's another thing is is when you got a chance to hunt during the pre rut and rut, you got to figure out a way to get there if you can. But both of them, one, the one day I had to go to work that night, kill one, and the next hunt I worked off that morning and kill one. You know, if I said I'm tired, I'm going to lay in the bed, get my sleep, whatever. Neither one of them, neither one of them would have happened. Yeah. But, now, uh, what was the when, setup like for that second buck, by the way? The second buck? Yeah. Is, uh, I, I go down on that place every year. I, Keep a lock on, loosened up, but I, I, I tighten back up. It's just on a, it's on a gap. There's a bluff gap. It's about 150 yards. So I, if I'm looking, it's just I'm looking toward the bluff gap. So it's 150 yards up, and I'm sitting on a, I'm on a bench in a lock on above a little shelf. And they, they come across the creek, and they come across it like three or four different little areas, and say a hundred yard stretch on the creek. They can come up and either they can hit that point and run that shelf right below me, or they can go to the other side of me and go up, say, another couple hundred yards. And I have my wife, she stays up on the ridge that they could go by her. And uh, I got a lock on it. I get situated every year there because it's I have to go down a steep face to get to there. And carrying a stand down there all the time, and just it's, I'm getting a little older and that's me aggravating. And I have carried them down there, but. Now I just keep a lock on down there, and I'll take it down and just hide it during the years, during the summer and stuff, and then get it all set back up. Hmm. Okay. Very cool. Well, that that's kind of cool for you to kind of go back through those hunts and kind of relay with those kind of the different situations. Um, you know, when it comes to just overall having success, I know you hunt more than just that one kind of area of Alabama. Uh, I mean – I believe you've had some success down uh, some public land just south of Tuscaloosa and, and areas around yeah, there I'm, as well, um, and also killing hogs. I know yeah. you and your wife kill some freaking big old freaking hogs. Um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I killed a nice fish here, and she shot that shot. And when I was talking about her shooting, she shot a hog the other day, so, the same day. So uh, I, I got several different man marriages. You know, I started out Black Warrior early. It's kind of following the rut a little bit, but Black Warrior's closer to my house, and that's, you know, say big buck country for, for me in this area. Okamogia is is down, you know, below Tuscaloosa. It's Bibb, Hale, Perry, and Tuscaloosa counties, and there's a lot of national forests there. And uh, so, you know, I think Okamogia is 40-something thousand acres. And it's a little bit different habitat. Got shorter hills, a lot of swamps. Uh, we have this area that uh, there's a swamp in the bottom, and you got say a food plot a mile away and they travel across this swamp and they use that swamp edge as a travel corridor and they spur off the little the lava lolly pines and then where they do some of that uh, red red, red cocky woodpecker 
management where they do some understory removal every now and then, and it's like thick undergrowth, and the deer use it to travel to go up to little points of pines where they bed. And well, like uh, middle of December, I'm fixing to go meet my brother down there. He's in the army. We'll mow over hunting down there, and the roots will be starting to pick up there. And we've killed, uh, I've killed several deer there. My brother, the biggest deer he's killed was down there, it was 180 inch, 18 point. Woo! Uh, Holy December crap. 20, yeah, December 26th. And then I've killed a 140 inch, 9 point, I think December 27th down there. So, but that's a little bit later in, in the rut. But they got some nice deer, but there's a lot more deer there than, say, Black Warrior. We'll do that for, till the end of December and then, I might go to Lauderdale for the bonus buck hunt. That's up Colbert. I think it's Colbert County or Franklin County. It's, but it's higher up. It's above Tennessee River. And uh, and Freedom Hills, I'll, I'll hit it some. It has a later rut in late January, February, and that's, that's Colbert County. So. Mm-hmm. Well, that this kind of brings up you, – you're talking about, you know, hunting some of these areas that have uh, some of that loblolly pines. And that's very much, you know, what me and Andrew are very used to, you know, that central Alabama area. You know, Georgia, Mississippi is the exact mm-hmm. same way. Uh, and also same right. when it comes to like this, uh, you know, South Carolina and Arkansas can relate as well. Um, you know, how do, do your tactics – I mean, your tactics, I got, I've got to think that your tactics change quite a bit because I don't believe there's a single – there's not many, if any, bluff caps on uh, – that one uh, on Okamogi. No. So what's your tactics when you go down there? Um, you know, what are you looking for, especially come the rut? Like, what, what's kind of the situation down there, and uh, and how do you go about, you know, managing that? Well, like I say, I love the swamps there. And, and the swamps, it's got, you know, thick swamps. It's got little humps in them. And I find a place where they use the edge of them swamps, whether it's transition from a green field or – or uh, other hardwoods, or maybe a cutover to go up to a lot of lonely pine points. There'd be a, this main place we love hunting. It's got like six or seven different points where so they travel through that swamp and they can just spur off and go to a point to bed. And I'm trying to catch them before they get to them spurs. Mm-hmm. I have a place for my wife that's on off of one spur, or she can see actually two different little spurs, and I'm hunting more in the swamp catch them before they get there so and uh another good way is is to stay up a little bit higher above a swamp edge where you can see a trail or a couple of trails that that merge towards some of them points and spurs now how do you and plus s- they have uh, they have good uh, a good mixture of cutover where you can Cutover tactic is hunting a little bit different. You play, and it's getting colder than you play in that sun thing with the sun down. It's the color. You get where you can see points points that are higher up and then cutovers where the deer can access the bed or or get between the cutovers and, and little pinch point travel corridors of thick woods where they're traveling from cutover to cutover and you're higher up. You know, bucks will, will travel through in court over corridors a little bit higher up mm-hmm. using thick thick wood little edges or wood little spurs to check them for those. Well, let's dive into this a little bit more because I'm very fascinated just because I'm selfish and uh, I want to learn how to hunt these areas that you're talking about more so <laughs> because that's like what I hunt right now. 
again, I can't really relate with you when you're hunting, you know, kind of black word, just because I've only hunted that place one time and it kicked my freaking butt because I was an idiot. Hunted pretty <laughs> woods and he was on hogs instead of on deer, uh, even though there were scrapes all around me. So, that being said, let's get over to this other stuff, talking some pines now, because that gets me excited. <laughs> uh, what do you when you're hunting those areas for for as long as you and your brother and your wife's been hunting those areas, you know, are you consistently seeing uh, deer, especially bucks bedding in certain locations? Like, is there a certain habitat type that those deer are, are uh, very much so attached to when it comes to bedding? Yeah, you know, I don't hunt cutovers that much, but I do some. And if you're going to hunt a cutover, the bucks are always going to bed. Sometimes they're not actually bedding in a cutover; they'll bed just above it. On a little spur, well, they can they can when the sun's coming up, the draft pulls up, and they smell, they doze in heat or any kind of trouble, and uh, the edges edges that they uh, use to travel from cut over to cut over that's higher up. But bucks don't bed low; they like bedding higher up in the cutovers, and that's that's what I'm watching for. Do that, and then the swamps. I go look for a high spot. So when the water, they don't use that water, but they prefer higher spots in the, in the swamps to travel to spur off into the pine points. So they, you know, that, some of that down there are still, you know, it's not bad mountains, still a little hilly. Oh yeah. And I, and I, and then you can just look for the little pine points that they've been on. Those been on them too, and preferably, like I say, it's, it's getting colder then. Sun comes up and they shine on them points. You just kind of catch them going them points. Hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll say it's thicker points. You know, it's not. It's, just, it's the same thing. Not pretty woods. Thicker stuff. Yeah, thicker stuff. Thicker, so. nastier cover. I'll say I've been over there on the national forest before. Actually, I was out there with uh, Adrian Farley uh, back in maybe September, August, September, something like that, and hog hunting with him. And uh, I've been out there a few times before on on the on the national forest side. And man, mm-hmm. you know, I, hey, listen, I call those mountains, you know, the guys up in North Carolina, Virginia that listen, uh, they'll laugh at us in North <laughs> Georgia, but boy, that, that ain't no joke. I don't want to be going up or down those suckers. Uh, Cause dude, <laughs> you take a tumble, you're going to the bottom on a lot of those freaking those uh, big hills or little mountains, whatever you want to call them. Um, but I was very, it, th- that area is very intimidating when you start getting to the, that higher elevation, because I'm looking at it from this perspective of, there's no way you can get the wind to work on your favor because it soils so bad in some of those areas. Um, and also, it's intimidating talking like where it's a little steeper of like how the deer really work those areas and how can you get up in a tree or hunt from the ground uh, successfully if you were hunting up up high. Um, again, that might not be a, really a tactic from what you're talking about that's uh, something you really focus on. But I don't know the first time I was out there, I was like, dude, this is ridiculous. Like if you get up in a tree, you can climb 30 feet up in the tree, but you're still eye level with a deer trail. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it, it's just crazy. So, you know, those areas are definitely very intimidating for some guys, but, uh, you know, one thing we haven't really covered a whole bunch of, uh, you know, we've had a few episodes, but just overall like swamps and, and how deer use swamps and, and, and go about managing that, uh, when it comes to like, you know, managing how you get in, in and to and from those areas without blowing deer out. So one thing we haven't talked to you about is what do you do for access? You know, I'm an access junkie, uh, when it comes to like, you know, doing different things to try to get into an area clean. But what do you do, uh, especially, you know, hunting these more piney areas, whether it's down the swamps or a little, you know, higher up elevation, how do you access these places? And do you do anything that you think that really helps you when you're going to access a spot from, uh, you know, keeping from blowing deer out? 
uh, most of the way, I always try to access, especially down there, is either old logging road or hit a creek and walk a creek that's not a deep creek mm-hmm. to get to where I'm going to go. I don't want. I'm not going to bust through a bunch of thick stuff and like bracket. It's somewhere I can get through. Like I say, without leaving least amount of sand. No time of old logging road, you can pick your way through them without leaving too much sand. You can stay all carry clippers or whatever and keep it clipped out. And then I'll, 100 yards or so, I'll rake, I'll rake out spots to walk. Depending on how crunchy it is. If it's too crunchy, I'll rake out spots ahead of time to, where I can access without making a bunch of noise. But I don't, if I can find an old logging road and sit down in or hit a creek and go to that, do that. That's what I do. Awesome. But I always have that. It's always pre-planned. So. Well, you you got to tell us the story about that deer you killed in Okamogi. Uh, that I think you said like 156 inch deer. You know, how did that take place? Where, especially like in later December. Okamogi. Okay, it was 140 and six eight nine point, and that was. I was, went to uh, so my brother had killed us 180 inch in the same area, but say a quarter mile away or something like that and we kind of figured it out we were before he killed that deer we were actually kind of blowing there out we were traveling through, through too much thick stuff to get to another hill and then uh, we figured out well we, we need to stop that so we accessed to this old logging road and that day i accessed the old logging road got to a little point above the swamp where I knew that deer were traveling this little edge off of a, where they'd done that woodpecker restoration going up to about three little points that come down. They're only like, say, 500 yards from the road. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a real foggy morning. And I just so happened, I seen a little out of time, say, 70 yards away, but I couldn't really tell, and it was just going up and down. And, uh, he was coming from the tops for some reason. Instead of coming from the swamp, going up, he was coming from the tops. I guess he's coming, just had come through checking the bedding out or something. He was going down to hit the swamp to go across. Anyway, as the fog was just lifting a little bit, I seen him make a few steps, and I could just see the ring of his nose and then the antler. And finally, in the scope, I could see a piece of body in a shot. I seen a white flash, he took off. I seen him stop, I could see his tail flicking, and I shot again and disappeared. And I think I'll say, I think my wife had already shot. Anyway, we doubled up that day, she'd shot something earlier in that, during that fog. It's a crazy foggy morning, and uh, my dad was there with me. And we ended up going, we couldn't find blood, and uh, we found, my dad found where a little fresh little green waxy limb bush was broke fresh and we was looking around there and you could smell him he, he stumped he'd been rutting and we found him like that he was laying tucked up in a little ditch so, but he was, he was a nice one awesome now you know what was you know you kind of talked about that you know what did you what did your brother do to kill that big deer you know did he kind of just luck into it or was there something in that area that when he was hunting it, that really told him, like, hey, you know, I need to hunt this area because I think there might be a big deer. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty good story. He might, I don't know how, how much he's going to like me telling this. But we were having Christmas at my sister's and my dad and my brother. And they, we're going to go to Okmoga tomorrow. You want to go? We've been there in two or three years. And I said, uh, 
well, I got to work tomorrow night if I ain't going. So, well, they left and went. And it was, I think it was December 26th. But uh, when they got down there, it was raining. And we got this area that they always like going hunting at. So after it quit raining and couldn't slow down to a mist, it say hour after daylight. They started walking this old logging road. They walked up on a bunch of fresh grapes. My brother said, them son gun was fresh. He said, the ground was still wet from where the bucket urinated. And I, he said, he told Daddy, I'm climbing right here. So he went and climbed a little knob where he could see up to them scrapes, but he could see them to a thick bottom. So my dad said, well, I'm going to go over the hill and I'm going to hunt the, I'm going to hunt the back door is what my dad was saying. I'm going to hunt the back door if anything comes from the backside, I'll get them. So my brother climbed up and he, he smoked cigarettes. I think he still smokes, but anyway, he said he got up there and he got situated and he smoked a cigarette kind of relaxing, catching his breath, and he heard something making a swooshing noise, and he looked, seen something moving, he tried to put his cigarette out, looked over, and he seen two spikes. He said, well, I'm going to shoot me a spike. But it's actually one deer. So anyway, he shot. Deer disappeared. He waited a few minutes, he went down there, and he seen this deer laying in this big old bush by his head, and when he got down there, the bush was racked. It was 180 inches of rack. Instead of spike, and he had two long, crooked brow tines, and that's what he was looking at, them brow tines. He went to holler to my dad, and they got over, and it, it, was, a, it was a very nice buck. So. Dang, and I man. think to this day, I think to this day, that's the biggest buck they've had taken up at Mandarin, I think. So, man, I, I would love know, to shoot a spike, and it turned out to be a booner. <laughs> 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 that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holy, holy smokes, man! That's crazy. That thing only, I think it, I think it only weighed like a hundred fifteen pounds or something. It was, it was all shoulders, and these all chest, shoulders, and racks. So. Listen, that, that's that's the greatest and like non ground shrinkage ever. I want that in my life because <laughs> it's always the opposite. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's always yeah. the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's yeah. awesome. That's that's so cool. So. All right, um, which I mean, that place has had it's produced some big deer. Uh, I think the last two years there's been some freaking whoppers come off of that that property, uh, which I mean, a lot of the properties uh, around Alabama to me, you know, you know, I've only been hunting public land for about seven, six, seven years now, and uh, since I got started, I don't know if it's because of social media has gotten more popular or what, but man, it always seems like every year there's more and more big deer getting killed on a lot of places in Alabama. Uh, which is kind of cool because nobody thinks of Alabama as a big buck state. But, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. D- by the way, do you know Shannon? Uh, what's Shannon's last name? Um, Albus. Yeah. Do, do you personally know him by any chance? I know of him. I know I'm young. You know, you're going to get into a story about the 199-inch or 200-inch black weirder. Yeah, I was just going to ask yeah. if, you, if how familiar you were with it because I've never talked to him about it. Yeah. that's a, I, heard he was, I heard he was taking uh, – it was right on a doe, following a doe, but that was a heck of a deer. And I'm almost 100% sure that I got that deer on video the year before, and he was about 220 inches thin. Jeez. Good. Because that was yeah. like an eight-year-old deer, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, it was like old, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, he was, he, he was old. Yeah, and it was an old, beautiful deer. And then there are some, there's some monsters out there. It's, but And he got one of them. And then... uh I think last year, last season of the 180 something or 190 inch cost took off national forest. It was a whopper. I mean, every year those those are, those are pretty big and pushing 200 inch, you know, 180 inch or above. It's 
That's something they don't get. It's just uh, the deer numbers. You know, people grab about the deer numbers being low, but I, I actually, I run cameras year-round. I think they're better than what most people think, but it's just such a rough area that they can, they can, they, they know how to get away from people with quick. So, I was, you know, I, it holds them big and I was going to say that. I was going to say, you know, it might have low deer numbers, but if you know how they use the terrain and know what the habitat they're wanting to be in, I'm sure you could be on deer on uh, every hunt and, and see a lot of deer. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah. you know, we, like, we've all had, mm-hmm. and you're right. Now we've, I've, I looked at my book. So I got a ledger book and then I, y'all probably heard about another podcast. I keep, I write down every day we hunt and we've been 20 different days, you know, whether half days, whatever. And I think there's only been three, sits or something like that that we didn't see a deer mm. so and we've seen i've actually i've actually could have been tagged out on good bucks i missed a good one with a bow opening day he was 120 inch or more and then i had a i seen a nice one on the, one of the special gun hunts that i couldn't get a shot in the thicket but we've seen say five shootable good bucks over 120 inches and then several young bucks and not near as many does, but most of the places we hunt, we don't see that many does unless they're trailing one. So that, that's not a bad problem to have. <laughs> at least, at least <laughs> no. I mean, I, I like to eat some deer meat, but man, that's not a bad problem to have at all. Um, yeah. Well, c- kind of getting back down because I, I do want to talk a little bit more about you know, kind of that, you know, southern part of Alabama or South Central or just really Central Alabama, kind of Okamogi and everything else like that. You know, what else, if anything? Do you do anything else different down here or down, you know, in that area than you would do up on, like, Black Warrior when it comes to, you know, just hunting? I mean, one thing that you've talked about a little bit, but we haven't really had that question answered from you. It seems like you walk quite a long ways in, you know, talking about 45 minutes an hour walk in uh, in a lot of spots. Are you trying to do the same thing in Okamogi? Because that place is relatively no. roaded up. Um, so I was just no, curious yeah, on how you do that. Yeah, Okamoga, we we most of our walks are like 20, 25 minutes. It's, it, it's easier access and there's a lot more roads, so you know it's hard to. There's a few places where you can get them, you know, a long ways off. But on a imaginary, there's not that many, and they they we just we just the swamps are pretty closer to the roads, and the deer not really worried about the road that much. So it's like 20, 25 minutes tops as far as we walk in there. So. Mm-hmm. And then we just put the thick, the thick stuff. That, them pines, where they doing that woodpecker restoration and the cutover they got, but it's perfect habitat for deer. You, there's bukus, mm-hmm. plenty of deer there, and that's and that's some good ones. Now what we is also that? do a little bit more. I do a little bit more calling down there, a little bit more because it's so thicker in that swamp and stuff. I do a little bit more rattling, a little bit more grunting than I do at Black Warrior. So I do Black Warrior some, but it's I just. It's more the, the thicker habit set there. It's over all around you. It's, it's easier to call for me because you got calling to me. You got to have that set up real. I mean, very good for that to actually work without getting busted. So they're bad. But older bucks bad. But every time I've had an older buck come in, I've always just about got busted because they end up circling downwind. And you gotta you gotta figure out a way to set up where they don't do that, and that's that's hard to do. Yeah. Now you mentioned calling and we've actually had like, I think the last two episodes or two of the last three episodes, we've actually covered calling in it. Uh, 
one of them was uh, Adrian Farley and also Jeff Homan, uh, which covered calling. You know, they both hunt from tree stands a lot. You know, during gun season or, uh, you know, archery season, they call quite a bit and have success, especially Adrian on rattling. And he hunts down there in the National Forest. Uh, we mm-hmm. also had uh, Damon Bungard from Tennessee on last week uh, covering calling from the ground. He he pretty much exclusively hunts from the ground with a muzzle and rifle and uh, always has uh, a ton of success, public and private, doing that. Um, what uh, do you what do you do? If, you know, you talk about calling and stuff, you know, kind of, you know, first of all, do you have much success calling down there? And then also, what, do you do anything special, or what are you doing when you're calling? Well, I always do it, say, 30 minutes or so after daylight. It was my first, first like, say, set. My dad, was he loved calling, and I picked it up a little bit from him. But the first 30 minutes after daylight, I like say, doing a couple of runs, and I always use, I always use a sense. Prior to that, put something in there to cook. Because, like I say, if they circle down, we are in trouble. I try to get something to distract them. But mm-hmm. I'll start out with just a either a one loud clang of a rattle or a light tinkle. It just depends. Sometimes I do just one clang, just just a large crash that just get, catches their interest, and they might come and see us thinking what what done that. Or I start out with a light rattle. Just to see if anything's close, he's in. Then after that, say 30 minutes or an hour, you only at least wait 30 minutes for something to come in, maybe an hour, because sometimes they're slow coming in, and then I'll start tearing it up, imitating the fight. And it's just, you got that time of the year, mid December, say Oak Mogan, some of the areas, other, other areas down there that's pre rut on to the beginning of the rut. They're more interested in that than they are chasing her or stealing her doing some of the dominant stuff. You can you can you can be be fortunate to have one come in. Very cool. And again, you're doing that from a tree scene, is that correct? Yeah, I'm doing everything. I'm not I'm not a big ground hunter. I'm I just I don't like being on the ground much. So I'd rather be where I can, you know, see a little bit better or something. Yeah, I'll say it can be But I but I understand, I understand why they do it on the ground. It's easier to get into the thicker stuff and kinda and then you can you can like running gun more. You can do an area, and then go to another area, and you do. A, I mean, that's more advantageous doing it for you know than staying so just in a tree all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something I want to try to use a little bit more uh, throughout the season. You know, as we start getting into a little bit more pre rut down here, you know, because definitely you know up on Black Warrior, you know, I, I'm guessing. I mean, I don't know if it's peak breeding season yet, uh, pre or peak breeding time, but. You know, it's got to be close uh, up there. I mean, yeah. I mean, you've had. Oh, it is. It is. Mm-hmm. It is, man. Up there at that Black Warrior, you can. Uh, while I go by, it's Halloween. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty on in. It's sure enough, pre rut. By Halloween, there are bucks that are already split up, so you can rattle if you want to and grunt and such. Mm-hmm. But by, say, November 13th, some of them starting breeding then. Your older does, I think, are starting to get breeding then. It's, it's picked up. And on, not right now. It's it's hot. I had I pulled a camera card today and had three different sets of pictures where bucks were chasing doe hmm. in the twenties, November twenty second, stuff like that. Then the one I killed, both of them I killed was chasing does. And then on December second, the biggest deer I killed in my life was December second at Black Warrior, and. uh 2005, 158 inch deer, and he was trailing those. 
And then last year I killed a 10-point patrolling doe December 2nd. So right around that time frame to the middle of December. Then uh, some places a little bit farther south is in the White Warrior. It's a little bit later, but there is I'm up on the northern side. It's, it's that's from Halloween to December 10th. Mm-hmm. You need if you can spend some time in a tree or something. You need to be there. What was a hundred yards up road? You just don't know where you're going. Just climb somewhere you can see some points, whatever, and see what happens. But it, they're they're just moving. They're just they're rutting. So now another thing I've noticed as we're talking with you, it seems like you use trail cameras uh, quite a bit, uh, at least up there, kind of closer to where you live. Uh, can you go over, you know, how do you, how do you implement trail cameras? You know, we've had guys that like them and we have some guys that hate them that we've talked to before. Um, uh, you know, how do you use trail cameras throughout the season and, you know, how do you, how often are you checking them and, you know, how are you using the photos and videos you're getting to maybe hunt an area? I'll keep out, um, if I got some old mogi, I'll keep them out year round and I, I put them in pinch points, edges, Travel corridors, I don't put them in feeding areas. I don't put them on scrapes. I put them where deer is, is just can be naturally coming through and is not going to see the camera for any long So I don't want them to know the camera's there. So I, I put them, so if I go put one out in February, but now the cameras nowadays, I put them like, say, five-shot burst or something like that. Them batteries the last year, I won't come back to that camera till. August, September, to check the area out. You know, see if anybody's done any cutting or anything like that, or something has changed. Mm-hmm. Check the pull of car, and then if it's say Black Warrior, I'll check it in August, make sure they're good. Then I won't come back till October, early November, and then after that, I'll check them sometimes if I'm hunting close to it. Mm-hmm. And I won't check them again until April during turkey season. I just, it's just like just um, to do uh, surveys of what's there and and uh, kind of what's going on and how they're traveling. It's just, it's nothing to actually, it kind of helps me on the hunting, but all it does is let me know that what's kind of there in the area. But a lot of times I don't, like that big and I ain't got him on camera. So, and the one I killed the other day, I might have on camera, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Do you ever, based off your trail camera pictures, do you ever just abandon an area completely? Uh, if you're not getting mm-hmm. anything good on camera? No, I just move the camera to a different travel corridor or something not really i mean that might make me abandon that that trail or, or that pinpoint thing well they don't use it as much as i thought but it'll it'll kind of help eliminate some places that you might want to hunt or waste your time in or something do you ever try to pattern them to maybe some specific like environmental factor like oh they're only they're only coming down this trail on a like a northwest wind or something like that no i've never got that that much into that 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 technical end now. That's you know that's pretty interesting, but no, I've not I've not done that. Yeah, well, uh, Michael, I've got, I've got another question for you, and this is something we've we've tried to implement this more and more uh, through each guest. I know we've left off and, and not asked a couple of our guests lately on this topic, but Andrew kind of came up with this uh, probably a month or two ago called the spot in the spot, which is you know kind of give us a run through of uh, a memorable hunt and kind of break down the spot. You know, why did you pick a spot to hunt and how did you pick the right tree to make it happen and kind of walk us through the whole thing? And we're kind of calling that segment the spot in the spot. Spot in the spot. <laughs> well, I say I can go with some of the biggest deer I killed. 
Boom. I let's went to. Excuse me. I was gonna say, let's do it. <laughs> okay. All right. The biggest bear I killed was 158 inch, 10 point blackwater. So two days before the hunt, I went to the area that I known had a bluff gap and a pine hardwood edge. And when I was easing down there, I got 100 yards from where I thought the gap was, and I run a deer off. I watched the deer run up a different little gap, and that kind of made my mind up. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over here and find me a tree where I can see that gap. I went and picked me out a, I think it was a poplar tree. Looked at it, marked me, put a bright eye on it and whatever, and then clipped me away where I could get in without making any noise, left out. Two days later, dropped my dad off his spot, snuck down there, I got up that poplar tree. 20 minutes after daylight, heard something running around. It sounded like a pack of pigs or something running around. Finally, I seen three does come slipping up, and then behind, off at an angle, about 60 yards, I seen a good set of horns just trailing downwind of them. And he comes about, say, 50 yards from me, and I shot. They dug off running, shot again. I don't know if he had him with anyway. He fell a little bit, got down there, and he was a whopper. So that was fixing the spot, and that was a spot, and it was the biggest deer I've killed. That kind of tied, that kind of started the process of me looking for areas like that where they can jump. You jump, but there's I jumped, jumped up a gap into a laurel bush old logging road and went up a little draw that was thick. Mm-hmm. And that got me to look at more things like that and trying to tie that together. That's, that was 14 years ago. So, and that's. That's put a lot of things together for me as far as hunting bucks and travel corridors that are thick with, with gaps and edges and stuff. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, that, that's kind of cool. You know, that hunt was the kind of the, the changing point, the turning point for you. And to be honest, mm-hmm. I mean, I have hunted, uh, I, I hunted um, Black Warrior one time. It was on one of the muzzleloader hunts probably five, five, six years ago, 2014, I think. And, um, mm-hmm. I hunted a spot where I was hunting the pretty woods down the bottom, found some scrapes and got set up on them, had pigs come within 150 yards, squealing. But I'll tell you what, that's the first time I ever heard <laughs> pigs in the woods. Yeah, that terrified me at first. I was like, what is that thing? Like, what is the noise they're making? And they finally realized it was some pigs, and, uh, yeah, they eased mm-hmm. off. But I found a bluff gap on the other side of the the ridge. There was a um, going across the creek, which there's creeks everywhere up there. It's ridiculous. Um but uh, there was a little bench, and then it kind of went up to this one nasty bluff gap, and I wanted to walk up through it and get to the very top of the ridge, but, I mean, it was stupid, crazy elevation. I was like, I'm not going to do it. I just got up on the bench, and it looked Mm -hmm. really freaking good. And like an idiot, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go hunt back down the bottom again and just go sit down there because, you know, it looked pretty. There's a lot of scrapes. I'm like, oh, they're going to come down. Of course, didn't see crap. Now thinking about it, I'm like, I should have gotten up like on that bench mm-hmm. looking at that bluff gap, which I mean was just on the other side of the bench going up. And uh I mean there was deer sign there too. I mean you could see where they were coming out of it, but I'm an idiot for not doing it. Um <laughs> uh, but uh that 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 is really cool terrain. Uh it really is and you know kind of talking about Okamogi and stuff like that. I mean that's really you know that's that's a total one eighty from what you're hunting up there on, on Black Warrior and Bankhead. Uh just the different terrain but you're still having success down there. Uh, 
So it seems like you're very adaptable from like, you know, your background. And when it comes to hunting public land, you're very adaptable in the different areas. Uh, yeah. Now, another thing, do you chase the rut much there in Alabama? And is that something you try to do if you can? I've tried the, the on to an extent. You know, I've done a little state black warrior, like I said, start out early and um, just begin with both season. I'll hunt uh, thick ridges that have oaks on them that start dropping early and then try to catch one using that to feed and, and, and transfer the transfer to, to feeding areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I don't the, the points that I'm using now are I'll use I wait till closer to the rut. But in the early bow season I usually I hunt thick ridges mm-hmm. that have more the wild oaks cover just starts dropping. The chances of seeing a big buck Maybe, but it's slim. There's more trying to get a doe or something like that. Then as, as Halloween rolls around, I start going to the travel corridors and the bluff gaps. So, yeah, and pretty and, Well, I was going to say, pretty much what, I'm get, what I've gotten a lot out of this episode is talking with you is, you know, hunting, tr- trying to find those travel corridors, you know, around bedding areas, but it's kind of going towards food sources. That's one thing. You know, most of the guys we've talked to is like either find the hot feed sign and hunt the hot feed sign or find the bedding area and hunt the bedding area. Um, You know, I'll say Jeff Homan's a little bit more in the middle. He's definitely hunting travel corridors coming from a specific bed because he's hunting specific bucks on public land. Um, But I think that would help not only everybody be more successful, but I feel like if I started doing that a little bit more this year, maybe I could start killing some more deer and seeing more deer Uh, because it's been been a slow start this year. I've only killed two so far, which is – I guess more than some guys, but uh, I haven't had nearly as many big buck encounters this year as I had uh, the last couple of years. So um, mm-hmm. I think that's a really good, really good point. Is trying to find those, you know, the, trying to find those hot corridors and find those little pinches. I mean, you know, and find those edges. I, I think another thing that I struggle just contemplating. I think a lot of guys do too. Is you know, you hear guys like yourself that are extremely successful talking about you know deer or ed, you know creatures of edge. They they work edges. They run uh, those edge lines, especially yeah. the big bucks. But we get so mm-hmm. torn up and like, oh, man, this is a great-looking bottom right here. You get some pines behind you, and you have your back to the pines looking at the drainage, but the deer come up from behind you. And, uh, you know, they bust right. you or whatever the situation is. And I think I need to get that through yeah. my thick skull of, hey, focus yeah. on that edge more than the pretty little bottom down below you and everything else and try to look yeah. at that thick stuff. And the bucks, and, and even those too, but bucks, mainly the reason they travel them edges. And higher edges in the, in the morning is because of the upward thermal. They can pick up anything in the bottom if it's a doe and or whatever they're interested. They want to check it out. They can do that. They don't have to be in the bottoms to find what's in the bottom in the daytime. They they run them top edges, and they can smell about anything that comes up. That thermal, you'd be surprised of how that thermal pulls up in the morning. So, mm-hmm. And that, that, they use that to their advantage, and and that's why I don't hardly ever go to the bottom in the morning. So. Gotcha. It's just well, uh, Andrew, what do you got? Yeah, uh, that about wraps it up for me. Um, I'll I'll ask you one last like real simple question. Uh, are you are you the kind of guy who bounces around a lot and hunts a new place all the time, or do you like hunt an area until you feel like you've kind of got your worth out of it before moving on? Like you hunt the same stand multiple times in a row. I'm able to hunt the same stand multiple times in a row, but as far as new areas, if I decide to hunt, uh, I, I lay everything out before the season. If I 
go scout a new area out, say after deer season, whatever. And if I decide I'm going to hunt it, I'm going to hunt it. But I don't bet. I do not go to a new area during deer season. It's I just to me, it, I just try to have it planned out. I don't want to be trying to find something during deer season because usually it's too late. It's just you should already should already have the area picked out to me. You know, so I'll hunt. I'll make up a plan. I'm gonna start out with this gap or whatever, and then I don't see anything a couple of days there. I'll move to the next one. But you know, the Black Warrior is kind of different because it's split zones, and uh, so I got like two or three places on each side that I know pretty much where I'm going to be at when that's open and have the plan laid and stick with it. Cause go by your gut feeling. That's one thing I tell them younger guys. The more you run around chasing and chasing, you're just chasing. You're just chasing your tail. Make a plan, feel confident, stick with it. You know, finding find your, your travel corridor that you want to hunt. Find someone to do that and stick with it for a couple of days because well, they got a mile square or more of a core area, and they it might take them a day or two to get to there. So, don't, you know, don't give up too early. Awesome. Well, uh, Mike, to kind of uh, wrap this up, Michael, you know, what is what is that, uh, you know, last tip you'd give to us and our listeners uh, when it comes to just chasing, you know, these deer, whether, you know, you're hunting place kind of like Black Warrior or hunting place like Okamogee, whether you're hunting those pines, those swamps, or you're hunting those, that, you know, higher elevation, you know, hardwood uh, ridges and everything, you know, what's a tip you'd give us to try to maybe have a little bit more success in the woods, especially uh, as our season continues to go on since uh, our season is so long and a lot of the other southern states still have quite a bit of season left? Best tip, man. Like I say, make your plan and then be prepared to sit all day if you got time to sit all day. If you want to carry a grunt call, eat. If you get, you know, if you're afraid you're gonna get bored and use a grunt call every now and then, a can call is a good call. Black Warriors is a is a can call. Black Warriors is a secret weapon to a lot of folks. They don't talk about much. That can call during the rut is is it's a key instrument you can use or a key tool. So, but uh, just. The biggest tip is to make your mind up what you're going to do and stick with it. Don't doubt yourself. Don't second guess. Don't try to want to see what's on the other side of the ridge and get down and take off. Just just stick with it. Unless you're a stalk hunter. If you're a stalk hunter, that's, that's a totally different thing. So I'm a, I'm a stand hunter, so I'll make a plan where I'm going to stand and I'm going to sit there until i got to go or, or I don't, or it gets dark. So. Awesome. Well, well, Michael, man, we appreciate you coming on. We'll have to have you try maybe get you back on later on in the season because, again, our season does run so long all the way to February 10th in Alabama. Uh, it might be a good time to get you back on a little bit later on, especially after uh, – After maybe, you fill that third buck tag. Yeah, listen, you might you might either need to tag out on a, on a, another Black Warrior Giant or save it for a, an Okamogi Giant because, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'll yeah. be – That'd be a heck of a time. But, Mike, once again, dude, we appreciate you coming on. And, by the way, how can people, uh, you know, get in touch with you if they have any other questions or maybe check out, uh, you know, any photos or any uh, articles that you and your wife maybe have written in AON or anything? Well, they can uh, – I do hunt advisors, you know, I guess you're aware of every month for AON. But also, um, I try to I get a lot of – here, especially here lately, I get a lot of personal messages on Facebook. And I try to answer all of them I can and – and give what tips and advice I can. I'm not, I'm not that secretive as some folks are, or some folks want me to be. So I just, uh, if you want to hit me up on Messenger on Facebook, I'll do my best to answer. All right, everybody, that wraps up another episode. Uh, Jacob, what do you think? Killer, bro. He's a he's a deer killer. Uh, Michael Perry, man. 
again, I've, I've known about him really through, I think, just AON, um, him and his wife, you know, always have photos in there, some of the bucks and hogs they kill, and it's finally good to be able to talk to him. I mean, he's been having a killer year, dude, and really kind of seeing in the mind of a, of a killer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, making a killer uh, what, what it takes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it seems like he does a lot of things that he's just learned after that one buck encounter. That, hey, you know, especially in areas like North Alabama where you got a lot of bluff gaps, you know, how those deer use those areas, how to hunt them going to and from bedding kind of and coming to and from food as well and making it happen. And then down more south central Alabama, just hunting those edges. I mean, edges is key. And, dude, I've got to focus on that. I've got to focus on that more. So, yeah. Yeah, it's funny because uh, – Cause like in the in the whitetail world nowadays, there's all all this like advanced tactic talk, and there's all these like off the wall tactics and everything. And I I like what I grew up around. All the deer killers I knew, they're they're just like Michael, dude. They're just like him, and the same kind of advice and everything. And it's like you spend all this time reading all these random articles and listening to these podcasts about like crazy deer tactics, and then you know Michael Perry's over here doing. What they've always done, you know, as far as the people I grew up around, and he's just having success. Yeah, it's almost like keeping it simple. Like, yeah, you know, you're hunting exactly. That, you're hunting, keeping it simple instead of like focusing on hunting bedding area or or hunting, um, you know, over straight food side, and just hunting those travel quarters coming to and from it, which sounds simple. I'm like, oh, dude, yeah, that makes sense. But it's like it also to find that perfect spot, like what he's talking about, find those those pinch points from, you know, the different vegetation uh edges to you know different terrain features you know creek crossings you know kind of the thermal hub get multiple ridges coming down to one spot uh you know that takes time i mean you don't just walk in the woods and normally find that right off the bat i mean i guess you could um but most times that's not going to happen and uh once you find those areas just kind of keep like find success in one spot okay how can i make this work in another area how can i find this exact same thing in another area and that's kind of like what adrian farley does is how a lot of other guys that we've talked to they do it. They find something that works in one area, and they try to remap that out somewhere else, mm-hmm. and, it, and it'll work. So use that example as a template. Yeah, exactly. It's <clears> like <throat> it's like man, we're we're going to trace success over here on this side of the map now. Yeah, and try to find it. Um, which I mean, definitely where he's hunting, all that. I'm not a, I'm not super familiar with it when it comes to like the habitat management up there, but supposedly there's not much like timber management up in that area. Um, so a lot of that stuff looks the same no matter where yeah. you go. So I guess when, when he finds something that looks good in one area, he can kind of go to another part of a drainage or another part of a creek or another part of the property and find something similar. So that, that's pretty slick. Um, also, I was kind of interested in, you know, when he was talking down, you know, on the other management area, um, Okamogie, of how he goes in and kind of uses the swamp and those little fingered ridges that are up above the swamp dropping down to it as like his little area that he wants to hunt. He wants to hunt that transition from them coming up out of the swamp, going up to bed, and vice versa. So, you know, all that was pretty slick, dude. Um, and, I mean, he's a killer. He's an yeah. – him and his wife are killers. Like, his wife, dude. His wife has killed a lot more big bucks than I have. <laughs> yeah, dude, she's, she's hardcore, man. Yeah. Um, goes out there with him all the time. And, I mean, as y'all heard, you know, Michael works, I think he said, like, three 12-hour shifts or something a week. Mm-hmm. And then just freaking hammers home and just hunts the rest. Yeah. Uh, dude, that's awesome. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of guys I know who like really get after it, who are good hunters, work work kind of like that, where they can they can hunt a good like two or three days a week, and a lot of times hunt those days in a row. Man, and I, one thing I've noticed just with my own hunting is 
especially this year, it's been broken up where I'll hunt like on a Tuesday and then I'll get back out like on Saturday and then I'll get back out on Tuesday and then I'll get back out on Thursday, you know, and it's kind of broken up. And mm-hmm. then, but then when I get like three days in a row, I usually have some pretty good luck. Yeah. That's why pretty much every year for the last, gosh, man, like probably five years, I've killed deer around Thanksgiving and Christmas. Either both or one or the other. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's because I get like five days to hunt or three days in a row and I can, you know, build off what I've been seeing. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, the stuff that Michael's hunting up there, they, they manage the timber, they burn it and stuff, but they don't, there's not much timber harvest up there. They don't, they're not doing a lot of clear cutting and everything. Mm-hmm. So that's, so it, you have a lot of, uh, like kind of open woods and you don't have a lot of cutovers and stuff like that, which was what we're used to is cutovers. Yeah. There's this different age structure of the, of the timber. Um, <clears throat> which I mean, again, that, that was pretty slick. Um, you know, again, this Michael's whole thought process on just, you know, going in with the mindset of I'm going to do something for the whole season and I'm going to stick with it. I'm not going to like just jump around and, Try one tactic and try another tactic and do this and do that. Oh, he yeah. knows what he's looking for. He goes, looks for it, hunts it, and then freaking kills deer. So I'm like, how can I and all the listeners out there, how can we all try that? How can we all like find something? Because we've had so many guys on that have a bunch of different tactics. They all have different backgrounds, but they're successful at what they do. Yeah. How can we find something that fits what our style of hunting is or our terrain and habitat and be able to stick with it throughout the whole season. I think that's the question I think everybody should ask themselves. You know, after all these all these podcasts since pretty much one fourteen on, you know, all these guys we've had on, you know, what can I do that I can stick with for the whole season and kind of keep rocking and rolling to have success? Um, and I, I don't know the answer. Dude, I really don't. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of the <clears throat> that's kind of like the Debbie Downer. I, I don't know. I'm gonna have to kind of go back and re-listen to some episodes and figure out what best fits you know my style of hunting and also what i think will best fit where we hunt yeah. regionally um, yeah um what like i we've talked about this already but for me like the tactic has been like hunting thickets mm-hmm. and like generally speaking i've been like very aggressive this year with uh, with pretty much all of my hunting and this year i have this is my as far as deer sightings go this is by far my best year probably ever I mean, it's like every, almost every time I've hunted, I've seen deer. So, like, I'll go on Onyx after a hunt, and I'll drop a tree stand pin everywhere that I hunt, mm-hmm. and I'll make it white if I saw deer, black if I didn't see deer, and yellow if I killed a deer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm interested to see at the end of the season what the ratio is. Um, but, yeah, it, it, for me, it's just been hunting thick. And I've seen and gotten on film, well, I've seen four mature bucks in Alabama so far. Gotten three of them on film. Uh, let me make sure. Yeah, that's right. I've gotten three of them on film. Actually, no. Technically, I got all four of them on film because the, the other one was on the Instagram story. And uh, I'm, trying to fi- I'm trying to think of all four of these deer. I know of one. Where's, yeah. where's the other ones? <laughs> so you got... Uh, uh, the one that was swimming is the only one that's coming to my mind right now. So you got the one that was swimming, the 10-point that ran past me on the first day I hunted that place. That mean you hunted. I got footage of him. Ran past me chasing a doe. I'm not. Oh, say. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, got you, got you. I had the okay. one. I had the one walking out on the bedding area that I was hunting. And that I was hunted, mature. 
Oh, yeah. You think so? I think so. He was three and a half, which I'll, I'll say mature. Okay. okay. I'm very confident he was three and a half. <laughs> okay. And I suck at Asian deer, but I'm very confident he was three and a half. And then the one that got right underneath me. I didn't get footage of his rack, but I have footage of his hind end going through the brush. So, wait, all the mature deer you've seen has been all on the same property? In Alabama, yeah. The, yeah. So, maybe yeah. maybe we should focus where the mature bucks <laughs> well, are. Well, that was, also, see, that was also the rut, too. So, I mean, they're kind of... Remember, by the way, that was like two and a half weeks ago. I know. It's not very long ago. I know. I know. There's a lot of deer down there. Yeah, there's a lot of deer down there for sure. But yeah, dude, hunting thick. And I've seen a bunch of deer. And I've seen a bunch of deer that I couldn't shoot because it was so thick, which is uh, inconvenient. But I mean, well, I'm on them. You know what's funny? What? So we hunt thick down here, down there. Then we come up here and don't really do that. And guess what? <laughs> <laughs> don't see jack crap. Well, hey, I was about to say, up here... I've seen deer almost every hunt up here now. So my first hunt, mm-hmm. I hunted with you, mm-hmm. and we blew out a buck. Did we talk about that last week? I don't think we did. No, because that happened on Sunday. And, oh, and we that had re- did happen. We recorded on beforehand. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, me and Jacob went out on a gun hunt, and uh, we got out there, set up, didn't have very long, and we made a few mistakes. The first one being, we kind of just sat out in the open. Uh, the second one being we kind of pushed it with our thermals, I guess. And, well, we didn't really know what they were going to do. I mean, it was just kind of a Hail Mary. Uh, but, yeah, right at dark, got busted, I think. Either saw us or smell us, smelled us. I don't really know. But it would have been an easy shot if he'd walked out a little bit farther. Yep. Um, and then he's coming out of a bedding area. We heard him stand up, like, I don't know, 10 minutes before dark. I mean, it was, like, getting hard to see by the time we saw him. Uh, so it was like probably we had like 10 to 15 minutes left of legal light and we heard him stand up on this high ridge that drops down to a creek and there's pines up on the ridge and we heard him stand up up there and come down the hill and uh, he got on the edge of the gas line and either saw us or smelled us which was inconvenient yeah um and then let's see and then a few few of the other hunts let's see what did i do uh i can't remember where i hunted the next few days um Oh, oh, I hunted that same general area. I saw a doe one morning, missed a doe in the afternoon with my bow, which really sucked. Checked a trail camera and then found out you blew a buck out walking Oh, in. yeah, so I checked my trail camera that's been out there for two weeks, and I'm going through the videos, and I, I got a pretty good pattern on the squirrel in there. So, like, every two days, the squirrel would come through, and he would jump on the exact same tree every time and do the exact same thing. So, I'm like, man, if there's not a buck on this camera, I'm going to go in here and kill the squirrel that I got patterned. Uh, and then the <laughs> the the second to last video, I, I click it, and it's just the camera's just taking a video of nothing. And then all of a sudden, this big old freaking buck runs, like, back behind the scrape, like in the thicket. Mm-hmm. He comes trucking through there. Like, big, nice buck. You saw it. Oh, yeah. And then I was like, oh, man, heck yeah. And I clicked the next video, and it's 14 minutes later, and it's me walking up to the camera. I was like, oh, I bet I bumped him. You, you might have bumped him, but, I mean, that's such a top. Did, how long does it take you to walk in that area? It took me a long time because my foot's broke. Or it's not, I don't know if it's broke, but it hurts. So I was limping pretty good. Okay. Cause it's not terribly far going in there, so I'm like, 14 minutes. I mean, maybe it was you bumping him. I don't know. But if that's. If if I did bump him, I uh, probably bumped him out of the cutover, mm-hmm. and he probably ran down, uh, ran down the edge and got into that drainage. Just a little bit faster to go through there too. Yeah. 
Boy. Yep, and then I've only hunted – I hunted uh, that once with you, gone out um, Saturday, which was yesterday for the gun hunt. I only could hunt in the morning because I had to work. And uh, dude did not see anything. I sat on a on a uh, another gas line that uh, you had seen some bucks and does kind of crossing. And uh, I, dude sat there and right I got in, we got in early, which maybe we should talk about the whole oh god situation we had at the check-in station because that was hilarious. So, so typically in Alabama, you're supposed to if it's an either sex gun hunt, which this weekend was. Mm-hmm. You go and you get your permit from the check station. Right. A paper permit they get. Yeah, you literally hand you a permit and you go out and shoot a deer. It's good for you, one day. And you yeah, and and you bring it back with the permit when you kill the deer. Mm-hmm. So we were sitting there, and you know, on a buck only hunt, you don't have to you don't have to do that. You, when you kill a deer, you just bring it back to the check station. You don't need to go get the permit. Um, well, apparently they did away with that. No one told us, and we didn't read the map because yeah. it's been the same for our whole lives. Yep. <laughs> so we show up there. And I, I roll up probably well, like I roll up and it's like four no, it's like three forty five, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, Man, there's not another truck here. Like, that's kinda Yeah, you uh, called me, you're like, dude, there's no one here. I was like, Heck yeah, man. We yeah, and I was like, the first ones in line. And I was like, mm, I don't know about this, man. <laughs> I'm like, Okay. So like Well you know, usually at three forty five, you're the first one there. Yeah. But I don't know, I've got there at three thirty one time and there was a line already. I, that was like probably I do not believe that. four years ago. I swear, me and Thomas went one time. It was one of the first gun hunts I ever went to. And it was like three thirty or it was like three thirty or uh, three forty five. And dude, there was already probably five or six guys in line. And we get there, and next thing I know, it was just like a freaking line, like probably one hundred fifty guys in a row, like yeah. waiting to get a permit. It was crazy. Yeah, um, I've been out there, and I showed up at about that same time, about three forty five, and I'll be like the first or second guy there. And then usually about like I was telling you the other day, usually about like four twenty to four forty, man, that place is a madhouse. Everybody starts showing up. Yeah, I mean hundreds of people sometimes. Yeah, I mean seriously, it's crazy. It's fun though. I love it, dude. I, I, I love it too. I love it. It's it. the people, competition. Dude, uh, yeah, it's dude, competition. People, people talk crap about it, but man, you you pull up and everyone's freaking tearing out of there, slinging dude, gravel. Slinging gravel. Pe- freaking, oh, I love it so much. Dude, peppering trucks, man. They're like, <laughs> oh, I don't care about your windshield. Speaking of that, so we're standing there and we're talking to this guy that's, that's at the check station. That got, got there after I got there, yeah. Yep. Old and Jeff. So, old Jeff. So, yeah, we're talking to Jeff. Uh, Jeff is voicing some of his concerns to us about the WMA, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we're like, "It gets to be, it gets to be like 4:25," and I was just like, "Man, why is there no? This is not right. Why is there? This is the only either sex hunt on this property this year. Why is there nobody here? Because I know that people want to kill some does." <laughs> and, and I was like, "What did I say? I was like, Jacob, go grab your map or something yeah, like that." And I went and grabbed a map out of the kiosk, and I, I go over, listen. <laughs> Guys, I wish I had a video of this. So, so I go over there. And by the way, we had our chairs sitting out. Like we were like sitting yeah, in sitting, line. Yeah, sitting in front of the in front of the window at the check station, like a couple idiots. Gamer's not there. <laughs> and I go check. It. I'm like, man, what time is it? It's like 4:20. I'm like, there's no way, dude. Like there should be like a hundred people here by now. Mm-hmm. I go grab that map, dude. I, I pull it out. Look at the date. They're like, what's it say? I had to read it twice. Right. Okay, and it said November 30th and, and November 30th through January 4 uh, or December 1st. Hunter's Choice, 
Then right next to it says, check-in station open at 6.30 a.m. until 7 p.m. I was like, oh, and I yelled it outside. I was like, oh, God, dude, we all turned and ran <laughs> this, to the trucks. This dude, this dude that we were with, literally, he his, like, four kids showed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right before that happened. And literally, they all just sprint across the parking lot to their dude, trucks. Dude, like, jumping man. over the gate, just, like, getting back dude, to like, the Dude, like, yeah, hurdle the gate, like, push push down the person next to you. <laughs> <laughs> And then you pull out, and I'm, I'm trying to. I was I'm like, trying to get, I'm trying to get behind you, and this guy gets in front of me. I was like, "Dang it, man!" Yeah, I was, I was like, "Good luck, boys!" I was like, "All right, good luck, man!" I was like, "Freaking Jacob, threw it." You peel out, and I'm going to the same road as you, but I'm hunting like two gates down. Yeah, yeah. And this guy's in between, so you're in front of him. I'm behind him. Where'd he go? He went. The he went to the first gate to the left after you pulled off. That's what I thought he did. Yeah, well, so yeah, he was in between us, and you pull off, and he keeps going. I was like, oh my god, this guy's gonna park at my gate. (laughs) (laughs) That's happened to me before, dude. Like I was driving, uh, I was driving to a management area one time. I think this was on a turkey hunt, and I was driving down the highway. I was like twenty minutes from the WMA, like in town. I wasn't even close to the WMA yet, really. And this pickup truck, it's like. I don't know, 3.45 in the morning, and this pickup truck pulls out in front of me. I was like, oh, this guy's going to the management area for sure. And I follow this guy, and he he goes and parks at the exact gate I was going to. I was like, what are the freaking odds? If I, and he killed a guy with that one, probably. <laughs> he probably did kill a freaking guy. All right, back to the one. story. All right, back to the story. Yeah, so we peel out. Um, so the guys in, in between – there's two, two trucks between you and me because it was Jeff and then his all kids were in the other truck. Yeah. So, like – they're behind me, dude. I'm booking it down that freaking road, dude. Like gravel road, it's like slinging it, dude. Like left their little yeah, beef. because everyone else got a head start on us. Yeah, because everybody in the street, all the locals, dude. They they who had, know how to read. They and, had and look at a map. They had ample time to beat us to our gates, and we still beat most people out there. I mean, well, I'm gonna say beat them, but they just weren't where we were at. Which I was kind of worried there's gonna be somebody at where I was at. Man, you should drive down that road about eight eight o'clock every. Every gate has people at it. Usually, you could hear the cars. You could hear the trucks driving around. Like right when like it was like getting gray light, I could hear guys still like trying to find a spot, (laughs) (laughs) which is never a fun, never a fun thing to do. Um, Oh, been there. That was me on my quota hunt in Georgia. Like man, all you all you Georgia quota hunters, my hat is off to you. Like that was some uh, that was some incredible stuff. I've never seen pressure quite like that, especially because it was a draw hunt. So Jeff and that other truck was in between you and me. They drove. Where did the second truck go? What second truck? There was two trucks. Oh, the one behind me. There was uh, one behind you. So mm-hmm. it, there was only one truck between you and me. Yeah. Oh, where, where, did you see the other one turn off? No, the 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 other guy that was parked there. I guess it was one of his kids. Mm-hmm. He was behind me, and man, we left him in the dust. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I like I got way ahead of him. I don't know where he went, but yeah, dude, I hit my gate. <laughs> I got suited up so dang fast, and well, and I limped into the woods. <laughs> you drug, so, a, drug that leg. There was so, a drag so mark. yeah, if anyone listened last week, you know what's wrong with my with my foot. But if they uh, didn't listen listen last week, what happened? You can go listen to last week's episode if you didn't last listen Boom. last week. <laughs> oh yeah, so yeah, I I limp into the woods, man. It still hurt. It still hurt so bad. Like it was. It's honestly extremely painful still. <laughs> so. uh Maybe you should go to the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob's making a hand motion at me. Anyways, um, so I, I I get to my spot and man, it's like six forty five. How long did it take you to get down in there and get up that 
Did, how, do you cross the creek? Yeah, you cross the yeah, creek. Yeah, I crossed the creek, and how I deep, walked up that hill. How deep was that creek? Not deep enough to flood my boots. Dude, listen, I, I, saw, I said the same thing. Remember the time when you and me went where I was at, and we crossed that creek and, like, ran up the – was it you and me or Thomas? It was Thomas. Oh, never mind, dude. We Listen, last time I went through there, sun gun, dude, like, you were about to throw some waders on. We, we had to hop <laughs> across rocks. It was sketchy. Then I went this time. You could walk across it and lace up boots. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> but anyways, all right, back to the story. Yeah, I get up there, man. That's still that that hill was freaking steep. It took me a long time to get up that hill. Like honestly, it's because like so with how my foot is, dude. I can't like I can't roll my foot, you know, like and and push myself forward with my foot. So I'm like dragging it up the up the dang hill like I just got shot in the hind quarter <laughs> like a freaking deer, man. Shut <laughs> <laughs> <Get> up. <man. laughs> God, dude. Uh, yeah. So it hurt, but I got to the top of the. I got to the top of the hill. Sweep out limping like you got hit in the hind quarter. Uh, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, yeah, I got. I get to the top, and uh, I saw a doe at six forty-five, and I was fully prepared to kill her. Get the camera on her. Everything's perfect. Getting rested, and uh, I look over to make sure the camera's still on her, and it's perfect for about one more second, and then it dies right in front of me. Just t- goes black. I was like, great. I was like, oh, I'm just going to kill her anyways. So uh, I try to get on her, and she keeps walking. She's getting closer to the edge, and I didn't stop her or anything. Just I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. But I couldn't get steady enough to like feel comfortable touching it off. Were so. you sitting in a chair? Yeah. Did you have your backpack across you? No, I wasn't sitting in like a lawn chair. I had like a stool. So I had a, I had a... Uh, I had a stick with a V in it. That's bad. I've killed a bunch of deer I've, off the ground with a stick and a V in it as my shooting stick. It works, man. It works really good. I've killed him at that distance, too, but I was just like, I was turned in an awkward way because she kind of got past me. Well, shouldn't the left or right of you? Hmm? Left or right? To my right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she came out over here, and I was turned like this trying to shoot, like real awkward. And remember, there's an audio show. People can't see what you're doing. Well, (laughs) (laughs) so, yeah, she get. I'm like, well, another one will come out. And I wasn't too upset about it when she, like, slinked off into the woods. And then the longer I sat there, the more the angrier I got at myself. I was like, you idiot. There's not going to be another one. We could have had sausage. (laughs) Yeah, we could have had more sausage, Dude, that's that's another thing we ain't talked about is the sausage, man. We made a freaking heap of sausage, dude. Dude, we're not even totally done yet. No. To be honest, I got to case the rest of it. Um, Dude, we stayed up. What was it? It was Wednesday night. Stayed up till 2 in the morning. 2.30. That's well, I went to bed at 2.45. Yeah, I went to bed at 3.30. We started at 5. I, I way under-anticipated the amount of time it was going to take to do yeah, that. Yeah, we're like, oh, yeah, we'll be done by 10. We'll go hunt in the morning. No. no. We could have just, just drove We could have drove straight through the gate, man. Took a 30-minute nap and mm-hmm. got, got to hiking. I've done that before. When I worked at Field and Stream in Hoover, we had to do inventory one night. And so we were inventorying. And the next day was opening day of turkey season. I was like, well, I'm not going to miss opening day. We did that. Oh, yeah, you were there. We camped in the, we slept in the trucks. Yeah, so I, I left work at like. It was late because I was, was already asleep. It was like 3 in the morning. I left work at 3 o'clock a.m., ran by the house, grabbed my shotgun, already had my camo in the truck, went out to the gate, got there at like 4 o'clock, slept for an hour and a half, and then went turkey hunting. Dude, I got there like at 10. And that morning we scared the crap out of a. Out of a turkey. I don't know if you remember that. We didn't kill one, yeah, but we yeah. sure did scare one. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> yeah. Dude, huge tangent there. Um, 
Other other than that, my morning was pretty uneventful. Um, some guy shot right on top of me. I mean, he was like he was he was close. <laughs> I'm, I'm the sound effects for today, guys. <laughs> he was he was close. He did not hit what he was aiming at because I heard the bullet hit a tree or something. Yeah. yeah this, there you go. So uh, and then I saw uh, then I'm uh, actually Matt Garris texted me. And I looked at my phone, and I looked. I glanced to my left. As soon as I took my phone out, I glanced to my left, and there's a spike standing there at like 15 yards. And I was like, "Great." Was it a spike or was it a 180 inch deer? <laughs> Man, that's a mistake I'd love to make. <laughs> Man, I'll, I'll shoot a spike all day. Um, so this thing like walks. He so I had originally been sitting like 10 yards to my left, mm-hmm. and I had to move because I couldn't see as well over there. And uh, I left my my hoodie and like a couple other things laying in that other spot and this deer walks within like 10 yards of me and he walks over there and like steps over my hoodie and like goes cruising down the hill he's just looking for some love but uh yeah it was my morning and then your morning you scared something yeah just got set up down there and i was right above the creek and the thermals were just shifty as crap you know they'd be dropping down to the creek which i thought they would be which was fine because i thought the deer would be crossing higher up which they kind of were uh but it would like Drop down real heavy, and then, you know, 10 minutes later, it'd be sucking right back up the hill, like right back towards me. I was like, man, pick a freaking decision. <laughs> and then it'd start going side hill. It'd like blow side hill, which was freaking making me upset. But I mean, when we got in there early, I mean, I was set up at 5 o'clock. Sunrise isn't until 6 o'clock is legal shooting light. Yeah. So, so, so sunrise is 6.30. Yeah, so like you – but like – the sky's changing color about five forty-five ish. Yeah, 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 roundabout. So, um, like at that time, it's probably like five fifty. I'm sitting there like you can kind of see, okay. And I keep, I hear Ka-toosh! down the creek below <laughs> me. I was like, what the hell? I'm like, man, that sounds like something just jumped to the creek. Is it either a beaver or a deer? No, well, it was like multiple like just mm-hmm. you know, kind of coming through the creek. And uh, I was like, oh, dude, there might be a deer coming like right up towards me. And, like, I kind of got, like, shit in the, shit in the seat and everything. And I uh, had the camera there on tripod. And it kind of got quiet for a little bit. And then here, it was, like, coming up. I was like, oh, crap, dude. So I'm set up kind of like in the side of a brush pile. And there's, like, brush. There's a brush pile between me. I'm on, the, like, the right side of this gas line. Between me and the trees, like, the tree line, is, like, more brush, like, big brush pile right there, okay? And I'm, like, tucked up in it. It's perfect setup. But I'm like, dude, the deer's going to come, like, right on top of me. Like, it's, And there was a trail when I was walking. I did notice one trail that was coming, like, right down the side of these little pines and uh, popped out right, right above me. I was like, man, it's about to come right on top of me. And at the time, the thermals were dropping straight down, and it was, like, off to my right. And uh, a few minutes go by, and then it gets really loud. Like, the, the, the walking is, like, right there. Like, somewhere, like, right, you know, within probably, I mean, bow range probably. And uh, I real quick, I took my hoodie off. I like, took my hood off so I could hear really good. And then I guess it stopped. It's like, oh crap, didn't see me. <laughs> <laughs> and, Man, uh, you should know better. I, I've, done, I've done that multiple times this year. Oh I, my I hear gosh, something, what a rookie! And I real quick, what a rookie. No, listen, I like wearing a hoodie because I get cold. But like, if I think a deer's coming, I have to take the hood off. Like, I just, I have that's, to do it. Dude, that's why I will sit there and I will, I will literally like be violently shivering before I put my hood on because I, dude, I can't. I quit shaking your head. I'm gonna have to edit that. <laughs> <laughs> so, dude, I like. Dude, I'll sit there and I will get cold, cold before I put my hoodie on, just because like I can't stand not being able to hear good. That sucks. Yeah, because you spook deer like you did. No, oh yeah, and that, that happened to me in Tennessee too, where I hear them coming. I'm like, oh, throw it off, and like a deer catches my movement because I think I do it like real quickly instead of like, trying to do it slowly and smoothly. You know, 
S- smooth is right, slow. Smooth. Sm- well, hold on. Is it slow? Smooth. Smooth is fast. There you go. I think Taylor Chamberlain says that. Um, but yeah. Anyways, and the deer stopped there for a hot second and then blew and took off running, and it sounded. It sounded like a dinky little deer running off. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Not very hey, man, heavy. You have a reputation. I know. Hey, look, pocket deer, sir. That doe I was going to shoot today, I'll have to go back and look at the footage, but I'm pretty sure it had a fawn face. Probably a yearling. I mean, it is a little doe. For sure. But all, I don't care. They all eat good. That's her all saucy, son. Summer well, sausage with, for days. With my old gimped up foot, I was like, maybe I do need to shoot little fawn doe. <laughs> <laughs> Just lost its spots three or four days ago. It'd be yeah. easy for me to get yeah, out. The last rainstorm washed them off. With with my injury. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> but anyways, I didn't see anything else for the rest of the day. I kind of hiked up in um, – Went around the creek, didn't found some stuff that I was looking at trying to hunt, and I'm glad I went there because I definitely kind of crossed off the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were signs, but it wasn't nothing fantastic, and it was a lot closer to another access point. I did not realize it was there. Oops. Yeah, so I walked that access point back. It was nice. Um, and that's it, dude. I had to go to work. Um, uh, I'll tell you one interesting, two interesting things that happened that day. What? Zach killed a buck. Oh, yeah, which we got to talk about. So, yeah, Zach, Zach killed a pretty nice buck. Um that it might have been – so, remember I told you I glassed up two does and a buck on the uh, power line? Mm-hmm. It might have been that buck, and I have footage of him. I'm going to have to go back and check it out and and see if I can see him. It was right at dark, so I don't know if you'll really be able to tell, but uh, I think it might have been him. Uh, but, yeah, Zach shot that thing, um, and we took it. <clears throat> we got it out of the woods, and we were taking it to the check station. We went and we are checking it in. It was a good three-and-a-half-year-old buck, weighed about 150. Um his his rack really didn't match his body. He had a big old body on him, but um, his rack, I mean, it was a good rack, but it didn't, it wasn't like proportional, you know? He's kind of a runt, I guess. Um, but, dude, Zach was thrilled to death with him. I'd be thrilled to death with that deer. I mean, when when I when I uh, walked up to his truck and I looked in the bed at it, I was like, dang, did, man. Did he drag it back himself? No, he had a couple people help him. Okay. And you know where they killed it, and man, I wouldn't want to drag one out of there. Holy crap! Especially if you get it on the bottom. Yeah, dude. Very cool buck, though. Very cool buck. It had a, I mean, just jet black streak going from the back of its head down its neck, which is pretty. I'm, it's, I'm not gonna say it's common for bucks around here, but a lot of them have it. Uh, just like a black streak, and he had like white spots down either side of his spine. He had one like white, like little area of a couple hairs that were just snow white on his back. And then he had, like, resemblance of spots going down his spine as a three-and-a-half-year-old. He had a really cool coat. I was like, man, I wish y'all hadn't. He, cause when they drug it out, they pulled a bunch of hair off the hide. I was like, dude, man, if if y'all had gotten that thing out clean, I would have almost offered to tan that just because it's such a cool hide. Yeah. It was, it was one of the most unique hides I'd seen. I would love to have that as, like, a rug or, or whatever, like a little blanket for the couch or something. <clears throat> but that was cool. So – we're checking this thing at the check station, and this guy shows up with just a freaking whopper of a buck. <laughs> really nice buck. Um, and we get to talking to him about how he killed it and everything, and he was like, yeah, which just really got me thinking about the kind of places I'm hunting. He's like, yeah, we went out there and uh, got up on a cutover, and when we were climbing up the tree, I could hear him out there in the cutover just browsing around. Because I asked him, I was like, was he chasing a doe? Was he tending a scrape? What was he doing? He's like, nothing. He's just eating. So... Uh, he said they got up in the tree and he could hear it out there before daylight. And then finally it got to be shooting light. And, uh, it took him 10 minutes to even find the deer before he saw like an antler out there in the cut. And, uh, finally he sees an antler and he's hunting with his wife. And, uh, 
they watch it for probably 15 or 20 minutes. And she can't get a shot on it. He was trying to get her to shoot it. And uh, finally, he gets a neck shot on it and takes it. Kills it and brings it in. And I'm like, man, that, like I'm sh- I'm sitting here as he's telling me this. I'm trying to picture the kind of cutover he killed this deer in. I'm like, man, what did it look like? What like what kind of cover was that thing hanging out in? Because it was a big buck. I was like, man, that joker was just out there browsing around at, you know, I don't know, 645 is when he killed it, he said. So, I mean, 15 minutes after legal sunrise. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. It was cool. I, 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 I'm glad I got to talk to that guy because every little scrap of information I can get from someone who's killed a buck out there, man, I always – Try and get it. You know that cutover I was telling you about that I wanted to go to? Um, over there, try not to give out too much information. Um, <laughs> but you know the one I was telling you I was going to go to today? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I found out from Christopher because he had been in there like on like the first gun hunt. There's a lot more that was cut there that's shown on the map. You oh, know, really? You know the road, like the road I was telling you I'd walk in from, like way, it had to come up from way up top and it slinks down. Yeah. There's a drainage right there. Yeah. All they cut that whole drainage. Like, and it, it isn't showed on the map, but he's like, it's cut all the way to the road right there. Look, here, we're getting on Caltopa right now, and we're going to look at it right now and see exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, but so he says it's like two stage cuts. There's like a cut, like the main cut that I wanted to hunt is probably like three years old now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other one was cut last year. He's like, it's just like tall grass. Oh. And, and they come, they butt up against each other, and then there's like a hard timber line on the edge. Oh. And I'm like, dude, I need to get in there because I'm glad he told me that because I was going to go sit somewhere on that drainage, kind of looking out over the cut. Mm-hmm. But he's like, dude, they, all that all that was cut, dude. Holy crap, dude. Was yeah, it, that that sounds incredible. Mm-hmm. You better hunt it or I'll go hunt it. Well, I'm not worried about you because you, you ain't coming back up here, man, for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, – So, dude, look, here. Cal Topo. <laughs> all right, guys, we're on the computer. Weekly high. Oh, dude, they did – holy crap. Look oh at all my, that stuff that oh, they've cut. Oh, my God, dude. Dude, I, that is a giant cutover. Dude, that is not anything like I th- – oh, my God. I'm, holy dude, crap. I would have freaked out if I would have walked in. I'm – Oh my gosh, dude! Yeah, dude, that's all. Pop. God, listen, Cal Topo is the real deal. If you don't use Cal Topo, bless your heart, man. They ought to pay us. We can give them enough advertisement on here. Yep, for <laughs> Hashtag sponsors free. <laughs> oh my god, dude! Dude, that's a huge cut, man. Dude, Dang, dude, it's a big dude, cut. Dude, this edge dude right here. get in that corner dude, right dude, there. Look at this corner. Z- okay, in. we have to explain this. No, we don't need to explain it. No, at all. Okay, well, well, <laughs> we need to. Oh my. god. Gosh. Okay. Guys, we just found the spot in the spot. Oh, man, that looks good. So, okay, I'm trying to figure out how to Why don't we this. use Cal Topo? Imagine, imagine a square that is cut <laughs> corner to corner into two triangles. Okay. Like diagonally. So yep. you have, a, you have a, a northwest triangle and you have a southeast triangle. All right. The northwest part is it's three years old. Three years old. Mm-hmm. Good old cut over. Like three years over old. Over your head. Sagebrush, pines, briars, all kinds of nastiness. Mm hmm. Then, uh, the other side, the southeast part of it, is brand spickety new, spanking cut over. I mean, like bare dirt, maybe some sagebrush in it. But it's got two SMZs leading up into it. What's an SMZ again? Streamside management zone. So it's got two hardwood creek drainages running through it. Mm-hmm. These creek drainages come up and touch, like they form like a little triangle, and they touch right on the corner of the other cut over. Oh, this is hard to explain. Um, man. There's a bunch of edges that come together in one specific location. Yeah, yeah. These two SMZs meet in the same exact spot. They they meet on the edge of the other cutover. It's not cut as far up as Christopher says. I mean, they did cut that drainage, but there's still trees right there. See that? Oh, man, they did cut the drainage. That's Holy what, smokes. That's what I'm saying. I don't understand why they did that. 
I feel like they should have left left an SMZ there. <clears throat> but dude, see this this tree line right here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, this looks good. We got listeners probably pissed. They're like, "Well, we want to see it. We want to see oh, it." Oh my gosh, this looks so good. Dang it, man! I wish I'd have hunted this. What is that to the top right? What is that cut up there? This? Yeah. Uh, I don't know where that is, dude. Yeah, I don't know what it is either. That is private land. Yeah, it's private land. Gotcha. Disregard. Okay. Anyways, all right. Um, oh, wow. Okay. I should maybe talk. Oh about wait, this. no, I don't. I don't think this drainage is cut. Cursor says it is. He's been in there during daylight hours. He said he, I don't think Chris knows what he's talking he about. He might not. I mean, it is Christopher, but yeah, no, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't. <coughs> I wouldn't trust what he said. Uh, now look, see this drainage. Mm-hmm. See, see the color this is. Mm-hmm. Now look at this. Look at this hardwood drainage. Good point. Same color. Good point. Okay. Yeah. No, Christopher. Christopher, you're full of crap. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you're so mean. All right, dude, we'll talk right, about dude, that. Well, people just got a live action scouting tutorial right here on the podcast. You just freaking out. Yeah, yeah, dude. Man, man, I can't believe they cut all that. Holy smokes. I wonder when they cut that. Man, so how does that change your plans? Oh, well, well I got distracted. Sorry, what was that? <laughs> how does that change your plans? Uh, now after looking at it, I see exactly the spot I need to sit in. Cause dude, that cut over to the Northwest, that right, that is the perfect, I think is the perfect habitat. It's open enough inside that like the deer is, there's different pockets of like super thick cover inside of it, but there's plenty of browse. It still is getting enough sunlight. It's not like, shrub, it's not like shrubbed out or, um, um, you know, there's not like a ton of saplings in there. Mm-hmm. It's to me, it's like the perfect age. Like dude, a three to four year old cut over my opinion is like some of the best stuff you can hunt if you can get up high and look down into yes. it. Yes. Um, because it's still gonna have pockets of openings that, like you can see from you know an aerial view, but on the ground it's still gonna be relatively thick. Um, so, so you'll you'll like this. Um, this cutover that we're talking about, the new one, mm-hmm. they were in the process of cutting it on November 11th of last year. So oh, wow. I, I went back a calendar year on Caltopo on the weekly images. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, November eleventh on twenty eighteen, they were they had cut all of it except the one little uh, southwest corner. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Yeah. Let's so, see. Let's look at. Three. So when you so I, I guarantee it's it's all pretty much mulch and uh, you know just grass like like kind of like that sage grass stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your cutover that you are hunting, the one that you were wanting to hunt, is more than three years old because I'm looking at a three year old image and it is it's cut and it's not fresh. There's vegetation in it. I remember the year. Oh, never mind. Oh, it is old. It's um five years maybe because I remember I hunted that that crap. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> there's there's something up there. Well, uh, there, there's a field. Okay, and I, 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 I remember I remember hunting it, dude. The first time I ever had a muzzleloader, oh, which was like, dude, that was a long time ago, six maybe six seven years ago. I hunted, and then the following year they cut that. But they left a lot of treetops. It took it forever to regen, and I don't know if they, I don't think they've even planted it yet. I don't know. I don't think they have. But I don't know. It looks it, that looks absolutely incredible. I'm mad at myself for not hunting it now. Yep, told you. Mm. 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 But now we know. All right, let's get back to this outro, man, because we're we're dropping the ball. Yeah. Well, I hope that was at least entertaining for someone. <laughs> freaking out. Yeah. Holy smokes! All right, deer. We gotta find them. Yep. That's pretty much all there is to it. Pretty much. Yeah. Kill them. Oh, I got to talk about my afternoon hunt, dude. 
my my fifteen minute hunt. Dude. Oh yeah, and yeah. I, we'll we'll close with this. This this goes to show you can make it happen, man. If if you can shoot or get if the dead gum deer to stop. Yeah. Yeah. So this, just have to scream at it. So I had to work. I had to work today um, as well, and I got off like at four o'clock, and I was like, you know, it's a really pretty day, super high pressure, winds kind of ripping, um, you know. So I was like, man, you know, I might have some time. I have the rifle in the car. I just in my truck. I just had to go grab some camo, just change some clothes. Ran home real quick, threw some jeans on and just a shirt and threw a old wool uh, sweater on. Ran out there, dude. And literally, I left the house at 4.30. And sunset was 4.30. So, I left at sunset. I'm like, I can be there in like five to eight minutes. And I can like find the first drainage and like just run in. And just like, <laughs> just, just, just start, sprint. Dude, right just, in just there. run in there and have like 15 to 20 minutes to, to sit. And uh, I did it, grabbed the rifle, got to the first drainage, parked. Never been in this drainage before in my entire life. And I just ran up, kind of quietly, but kind of listening. The wind was ripping, though. It was a western wind, so I was kind of, you know, just heading kind of north. And uh, finally got to the point where there was like three drainages came together. I sat down. And, dude, not – I mean, dude, not five minutes, ten minutes goes by. And, uh, you know, sun's definitely setting. And, uh, you know, starting to get – you know, probably, probably only got, I don't know, probably 10 minutes of legal light left. And I hear, on the other side, the wind's ripping, dude. So I had to cut the old ear, give it a, give it a listen. And uh, all of a sudden, I freaking hear, I hear something running straight towards me down in the bottom, uh, off the other hillside. And I look down, there's a freaking deer, like, running towards me, hits the creek and starts, mm-hmm. it, like, it stops. And you're like, you're like, no, not yet, not yet, not yet. Because I was trying to figure out what it was. I was like, man, I'm like, <laughs> trying to see if it was a buck or doe or whatever, see if it was a legal buck. And uh, I looked down and I was like, "Oh, it's a doe!" And I go to get the gun up, and like she like, just takes off and starts running up the running up the creek away from me, and uh, or, you know, running right to left. And uh, she gets through a couple openings. I was trying to get her stopped. I was like, meh, meh, just like yelling at her pretty much. And dude, she didn't <laughs> finally stop until she was like way behind some thick stuff. And then she just like started walking around, but she never blew or anything. And then she just eased off. I'm like, dude, I could have had me a doe, threw it on the back of the car, 150 yards from the 150 yards from the truck, throw it, throw it on top of it. Come on over here, record a podcast, and then make some more sausage. Man. Daggum it. Yep. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. Yep. Anyways. Should have screamed louder at her. Probably. It was you really windy. been windy. like, stop! Well, so what's the plan for this week? What we got? Uh, I'm going to hunt uh, probably one or two days this week. Uh, either sex gun hunt on a, on a different management area. Last couple days, I'm going to go down there and uh, see what I can make happen. Bring mm-hmm. out the 7 mag. Uh, dude, I love bow hunting so much. I love bow hunting, but also love rifle. Hunting. I love rifle hunting too. I don't, I don't, man. You know, I'm, I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna. I, I was about to, I was about to do the same thing that I was about to accuse other people of doing. But yeah, yeah, I love rifle hunting. I love it. So I'm gonna go rifle hunt this week. Probably, hopefully, kill a doe. Maybe kill a pig. I won't pass up an opportunity at a pig. That's for sure. Or if an alligator crawls up on you. Yeah, or that. Or that. <laughs> or that. Oh, by the way, one more thing. Um, I was sitting there hunting uh, Saturday morning, and there was a flock of turkeys down beneath me. Oh, yeah, Dude, yeah. They turned on at, like, uh, all of a sudden, just at, like, 6, probably 6.20-ish, like, mm-hmm. right before, or 6.25, maybe, right as it started, like, really getting light. That all at once, dude, they all started, like, cackling. And I was like, something just scared the crap out of them. But they just all stayed in the trees. And uh, they started yelping and kicking and uh, cackling and cutting. And then two of them started gobbling. 
dude, you could hear uh, two, like, your classic. Anybody who's ever been to the Grand Nationals, like the calling competition, and you hear, like, their gobbler yelps and everything, like, just a freaking classic gobbler yelp, man, down there in that creek bottom. There's these two gobblers down there, like, wow, 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 doing that, like, caulking or whatever. It was cool. And then they'd stop and they would gobble. And I'm like, man, if it was, like, March 25th, I'd be having a really good day right now. Dude, uh, yeah, well, guess what? So that's pretty cool. Uh, I just got a text message from a buddy of ours, uh, Derek McLaughlin. Dude, he just killed a public land hammer in freaking Missouri, dude, with his boat. Did you see that photo? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Dude, that is epic, man. I think it's his first deer out of the saddle, too. Yeah, oh, that's awesome, bro. That's a good one. That is so sweet. That's a, that's a big <laughs> Tyler, Tyler's already talking Dude, crap. Tyler's a crap talker. Oh man! All right, we gotta we gotta wrap this up. Um, everybody, go out there and kill some deer. Send us your sex. Drink it. Hey, hey, buddy. Drink you another. Drink you another one. <laughs> uh, share <laughs> your success stories. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got anything? Nope. No, no. Okay, <laughs> we got some new hats coming in, guys. Um, hopefully, we'll have them. So you lied; you did have something. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, we should have some new hats coming in. Hopefully, this week. Um, so yeah, once we get those in, we'll do another giveaway with them. Uh, also, we got some orange uh, embroidered Southern Outdoorsman hats coming in, guys, for all the gun hunters out there. So when we come in, we're gonna have a very limited supply of them. But uh, if you want one, let us know, and then uh, we'll, we'll get your name down and get that sent out to you um, once we get them in. So I can't wait to get that. I've been wearing my raggedy old Browning hat for like five years. Dude, I've been wearing old Buccaneers hat dude, for like Buccaneers. ten. <laughs> <laughs> God. Anyways. All right. Cool. Well, guys, we appreciate you listening, and uh, stay tuned for this coming week's episode. Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool, I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right, giving you a heads up here, so go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the the like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.